0: table. friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen Henning, and this is a podcast where my co-host, Dixie Lee Henning, and I prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. Once again, jumping in here on the intro, kind of amidst the moving project, like all the stuff is in the new place, and we're working on that unpacking process. You know how this goes as well. But I mean, even amidst this, we're making podcasts, and... We have work schedules and stuff. So I'm jumping in here alone while Dixie's at work just to get this one wrapped up and get it to your ear holes, ear, your brain listening devices. Okay, some housekeeping I wanted to go over for the Henning podcasts. Yes, you heard that right. There are two Henning podcasts in the world now. One is this one and the other one is hosted by my wife, Dixie Lee Henning, and it's called Author's Intent. The first episode dropped last Friday on July 31st. She had me on as a guest host. We had a lot of fun talking about the first chapter of Harry Potter and kind of our introductions to the entire world of Harry Potter and He Who Must Not Be Named and just that magical wizarding world. It was a blast to record. Dixie is so excited about this project. She's so on fire to talk about good stories and talk about the way those books get written and the incredible detail that goes into the book and then how that gets translated well and sometimes not so well into movies. So if you missed that, if you've been missing the trailer in the mid-roll of this podcast every week, you can now go find that everywhere podcasts are found. Just search Authors Intent and go follow her Instagram at Authors Intent. That's A-U-T-H-O-R-S. I-N-T-E-N-T. Okay. Some other No Normal People housekeeping that I wanted to cover. Just to touch base on all the different initiatives and different ideas Dixie and I have had over the last seven months. Be sure to go follow us on social media. We're uh, we're active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those tags are at No People Pod. That's at K-N-O-W People Pod. And you can tweet at us or use an Instagram story and use hashtag No Normal People and hashtag KNP. Let's see, for a while there, Dixie and I did have a Facebook group active, so if you've heard something about it in old episodes and you've gone and searched for it since then, uh, Dixie and I decided to take that page down, mostly just because we didn't want to be full-time Facebook and kind of group moderators. Things are in the works, however, for some sort of community hangout, maybe a Discord server where we could invite people To come hang out. And this is possibly also where we might bring back maybe a twice a month kind of bonus episodes like we were doing. If you just scroll down in your podcast feed, you'll see all sorts of bonus episodes, especially those quarantine questions. We're kind of thinking about recreating that kind of vibe in a more controlled environment, uh, less live streamy and more hangout where somebody in the community could actually jump in and hang out with us and have a conversation with us. And then that audio could go out as a bonus episode for those subscribers. So just kind of be on the lookout for something like that. We're looking into different platforms like Patreon or Locals. I don't know. We're exploring new ways to bring this podcast out into the world and ultimately bring the message that there are normal people in your life that are ultimately not normal at all. And they have awesome things that they do and very insightful thoughts to share. And we all have a teacher around us at all times. Okay. If you haven't been there in a while, go check out nonormalpeople.com. That's K-N-O-W, normalpeople.com. That's a newly designed website intended to feature each guest a little more with full show notes and clickable links for like books we've mentioned in the episode or articles. Even I have found books, I have found movies that I've been able to include in the show notes there. So go check those out for every episode. I think you'll like what you find while you're there as well. You can click on over to the store tab and actually buy a sticker of our No Normal People podcast artwork. Every dollar we've made so far from this podcast has gone back directly into making the show better, improving our equipment, and looking into new opportunities, which includes but is not limited to the forthcoming No Normal People coffee blend. Dixie and I are currently working with a local Billings Montana roaster, working on the recipe, trying to bring our favorite two coffee origins into the mix, because ultimately we're trying to be a little bit cheeky with the whole idea of making a coffee blend. That is to say, as you and I, as normal people, go into our lives and blend with the people around us, we create something different and something new. Um, So every time you brew a cup of No Normal People coffee blend, you can think about the people in your life that make your life unique, make your life special, So that's kind of what we're going for with the coffee blend. Be on the lookout for that. Dixie and I will be working with the roaster next weekend, doing a cupping for a couple recipes. And after that, we're looking at doing some sort of special event here in the Billings area. For those of you who fashion yourselves as coffee snobs or coffee enthusiasts, be looking out on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're looking at doing some sort of event here in Billings. Opening up the event for those of you who would be interested in trying out the coffee and possibly doing some sort of live recording or two while we're there. So be looking out for that. In the meantime, the best way you can help this show grow is honestly just to share it. I know every podcast you listen to says, please like and share our stuff and comment on other people's stuff that you listen to this podcast. And you know why we all do that? It's because it's true. It would really mean a lot to Dixie and I if you would just share a link either to our website or share a link to a specific episode that has impacted you. Maybe one of your best friends was on the podcast. Just go ahead and give it a share, would you? Would you tweet that out or would you put it up on your Facebook and just say, hey, my friend was on a podcast and it really helped me get to know my friend in a completely different way. Maybe I, I hadn't thought about asking them this question, but Steven and Dixie did. And it opened up new conversations between us. That's ultimately what Dixie and I are going for. And the more you help us out, let people in your circles know about the show, the more the show can grow. And honestly, the more just kind of the more positive vibe we can spread. We really like the atmosphere that we're creating here on the podcast. And it really takes you to take it another step into circles that maybe Dixie and I don't necessarily have access to or don't have ties to already. If you would also take a minute or two and head over to Apple Podcasts or Facebook and give us a five star rating and a review. That really helps us show up in search results for people looking for new podcasts. So if they use words like no or normal people, maybe they're looking for a show that is an episode by episode breakdown, like a rewatch podcast of the show, normal people, the more ratings and reviews that you, our friends have contributed to our Apple podcasts and our Spotify and our Facebook, the more likely we are to show up in that same feed And maybe Dixie's fabulous artwork can catch someone's eye, and they can jump on this train. Okay, wowzers! I think that's enough. No normal people housekeeping here. Let me introduce my friend Caleb Lasloffy. Caleb is an active man, to say the least, physically and mentally. He and I have grown up together, homeschooled, kind of going to the same church, moving in the same circles. But my goodness, Caleb has always been the guy who is inspiring people to go to the mountains and go adventuring. So many different activities we get into in this interview. Caleb is interested in rock climbing, ice climbing, mountain biking, skiing. He snowboarded for a bit. Now he's paragliding. He's been sailing all over the Caribbean. He has dabbled in surfing and alpine climbing and grew up backpacking, hiking, fishing, boating, You name an outdoor activity, Caleb has probably at least tried it once, if not gotten very good at it. Philosophically, Caleb has always been a peer of mine that I've looked up to highly. He is incredibly well-spoken. He is well-thought. I really admire his thorough thought process. I admire the fact that he has specific philosophies that I'll mention throughout this episode. I think this episode will inspire you to get outside more and Think at a new level. That was at least the invitation that I felt inside me walking away from this conversation with Caleb. So wow, without further ado, my friends, get into it with my friend Caleb.
1: Here we go. Take it away. You ready, Caleb? I'm ready. Instagram or Twitter, Instagram. Oceans or lakes, Lakes. Rain or sun. Uh sun. Tea or coffee?
2: I drink tea daily, but I really like coffee. (laughs) It just kind of makes me feel like (laughs) crap.
1: (laughs) Early morning or late night? Early morning. Summer or winter? Winter. Beaches or mountains?
2: Mountains for sure.
1: Libraries or museums? Libraries. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. East Coast or West Coast?
2: I don't really like either. Um, <laughs> probably the the West Coast actually. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Sweet or savory? Savory. Uh, do you call it soda or pop? Pop. Hogwarts or the Shire?
2: Um,
1: Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Do I need to
2: have an opinion on that?
1: You don't have to. I mean,
2: okay, I, I, I will say the Shire, but that I will admit that that is com- out of complete ignorance of okay. everything Harry Potter. Like, okay, that's fair. I have not seen one movie or read any part of any book <laughs> in fine. Harry Potter.
1: That's fine. We can't be friends anymore, but that's fine. Oh. Um, <laughs> Disney or Pixar?
2: Uh Pixar, because Steve Jobs. Mm, Smart. There you go. Smart.
1: Mm-hmm. Pizza or tacos? Tacos. Vanilla or chocolate? Vanilla. Books or movies? Books. Handshakes or hugs? Handshakes. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Phone call or text?
2: I hate phone calls.
1: <laughs> so text. I know that's totally a moral so it's thing. A text, yeah. Gosh.
2: When people gotcha. call me, I'm just like, dang If put... Please stop. Yeah. This could be a text. This text. could be an email, We have this
1: whole thing where we could talk to each other without talking to each right. other.
2: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> that's very good. You made it through the rapid fire. You nailed it.
2: Thank you. Record time.
0: Okay. Yep. So yeah. now we'll do some more icebreakers. Just for fun. Favorite candy?
2: Uh, hundred grand. Mm, yep. That's nice. That's a good one. Favorite snack? Cucumbers and hummus. Favorite morning drink? Coffee. A light roast Ethiopian, <laughs> but coffee kind of makes me feel terrible. Okay. So every morning I drink dark roast yerba mate with some cream and sugar in it. Smart. Mm, yep. Excellent. What is your favorite city? It might actually be
0: Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah. Nice. Favorite novel?
2: That is so hard. No pressure. Oh my goodness! (laughs) Favorite novel? Are there any novels that you've? So the novel has changed my life the most. Okay, is actually Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. All right. Is it my favorite, man? I don't know if I'd (laughs) say that, but boy, how did pages shorter. (laughs) It could be 800 Literally. pages shorter yeah um, so oh oh man i just finished lonesome dove okay. which is also a thousand page novel mm-hmm. probably the most classic western that i think is around mm. now mm-hmm. still and it is truly astounding i love it it's That's amazing cool. highly recommend it what's your favorite smell a warm lodgepole forest mm. Mm. with like a pine needle bed man yeah, And yep. for some reason when it gets warm, you're transporting me there. All, I can smell it. Yes. Yes. All the smells come out and it is just amazing. This is very That's good. A good one. What is your favorite TV show? Psych. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> Throw it back
3: to childhood.
0: Throw it yes.
2: back. Yes. It's one of the few TV shows that I have seen and it's because I love it. It's a good yes. one. So it's a good one. Thank hilarious. you. It's pretty good.
0: Favorite ice cream flavor?
2: Uh, cookies and cream. Mm. Mm.
0: Yes. Yeah. What are foods you will never
2: eat? My grandpa has a story of being in the Mongolian desert and he said the fermented mare's milk is pretty darn nasty. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And uh if take, my grandpa says grandpa's that, word for it. He has eaten everything under the sun <laughs> and he's been to so many countries at this point. I feel like his authority is, you know, unmatched on this topic. You trust him <laughs> and, wholeheartedly. And he's so understated, but he was just like, that one was really hard. <laughs> Yeah, the fermented mayor's milk was pretty bad. <laughs> oh, that's good. This so, is good. So I will never. Okay. Who is the smartest person you know? Personally or of? Either, Either or. Dealer's choice. I really think that Jordan Peterson has a depth of experience coupled with just a huge knowledge base mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I find things that he says very, very interesting and pretty yeah. compelling most of the time. Yeah. I'd say he's 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 up there. Excellent. There's a lot of smart people in the world, though, that yeah. I really look up to. Oh, absolutely. What was your first job? Uh, doing yard work for numerous individuals around my hometown. Right. Nice. My first real job, well, where I, you know, got like a W-2. Sure. Was working <laughs> at a health food store in Billings. Nice. Oh, okay. What was your first pet? A golden retriever named Annie. Mm. And she was beautiful and wonderful and such a freaking lover. And she uh, lived to be 14. Wow. And so, and she died when I was 18, just when I was headed off to college. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I didn't actually remember any part of my life without her. Oh. oh. And then she lived a really good life. That's hard. A genuinely good life. Is that life the picture on a farm.
1: that you guys have in your parents' house?
2: I don't know. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> That's Annie. I, was like, I met I
1: don't
0: Annie. Know this dog. <laughs> I like Annie a lot. We had a lot of golden retrievers amongst our group of friends. We did. And I, my family had Robbie, Mitch, Warthen had. Oh. What was that fatty called?
2: She was so <laughs> large. Graham? Graham, oh, yes. Oh my
1: gosh, that's a good name.
2: <laughs> so fat. Uh, so, so fat.
0: fat. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay. Do you have a historical hero?
2: Viktor Frankl, the Jew who was in concentration camps during World War II. He was also a uh, psychologist. And I find the fact that he was able to go through so much, do so... Mm. pretty dispassionately he mm-hmm. was still affected but he right. found a way of thinking that allowed him to recover pretty quickly and help other people work through their trauma mm. Mm. and even maybe find a meaning through his struggle mm-hmm. very That's inspiring cool. individual. Yeah. That's he cool. wrote he wrote man's search for meaning mm-hmm. which is just a little little book but man yeah it's so powerful
0: it's very small and very
2: strong dense yeah. yes
0: what is the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in?
2: <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was a fashion trend, but I had hemp sandals one time. Okay. And I was so psyched on them. Okay. Yeah. I was so psyched. It was actually on my bucket list written in there. It still is because wow. it's been checked off. Yeah. To own right. a pair of hemp sandals. I look go. back and I, uh, I don't think they were as attractive as I had anticipated. <laughs> okay.
1: But you did it.
2: I had a bowl cut uh, oh, good. for many years of my life. But that was my mom's fashion trend. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't really was forced
0: your choice. Upon you. It wasn't your choice. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. I'm she still traumatized. Got
0: a bowl and right. It's this very rude. No, she paid for it. Oh, good. <laughs> she paid someone
2: real money <laughs> oh, to give no. me a bowl cut. <laughs>
1: okay. Well.
2: Exchange of goods our, over this haircut. Pat. Our barber's name was Pat. And
1: uh, <laughs> oh, well, we're going to have words with Pat. <laughs> yeah.
2: She's a very nice lady. Excellent. Plastic Pat. If
0: you could have one superpower, what would it be?
2: To control myself. Oh, Yeah, I think if you could act in such a way that is uh, fully congruent with the way that you think and what you know to be good or right or true, you would be...
0: Good gravy. That's deep. That's
1: a really good answer. Yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) What would you choose for your last meal?
2: Uh, Butter chicken, which is an Indian dish. Mm, Okay.
1: Those are two of my favorite
2: things. Any... Butter and chicken? It tastes, <laughs> yeah. it tastes very little like butter and chicken, which makes it sound <laughs> French, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, man. But anything from India would, be,
0: would okay. be okay
2: with me. Really? Nice. Yeah. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. I think half of that was just like, that sounds really impressive when I tell that to adults. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. The, the other half was I knew an aeronautical engineer. Grandpa, Grandpa Star was his name, or mm. it was what I called him, and uh, he was an uh, engineer for Boeing. Oh, cool. And Lockheed Martin and uh, his stories and him giving like slideshows on the aircraft that he helped develop. Right. I was pretty inspired as a little kid. Oh, I was that's was like, super I, want cool. to be, I want to be Grandpa Star. Yeah.
1: That's super cool.
0: Okay. Finally, for the icebreakers here. To date,
2: what would you consider to be your proudest achievement? I would say that my familial relationships is my proudest achievement. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I realize that it takes two to tango. And at some point, you don't get to choose. To mm-hmm. be friends with your siblings, and I would say that. So, if my proudest achievement is that, I would say that it's one of the most valuable achievements of my siblings as well. To right, you know, having the bond, you having
1: such a good relationship with your, I really, with your family. Yep. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a top priority.
1: Yeah, yeah, for real, it's impressive. Not gonna lie, like I, I don't have a super great relationship with my sisters. Not like we don't talk. It's just we live far away, and mm-hmm. it's like. We all have different lives, but like you guys are all in like totally different areas of life. <laughs> I mean, and it's like I don't under like it doesn't make sense in my head how you guys stay yeah. so close. It's just really
0: cool.
2: You make the really time. Cool to it's see. a lot of intentionality. Yeah. To it. Yeah. It, it does take a lot of intentionality. There's also something organic about it. Mm-hmm. And there's this fun thing where one of
0: you, especially one of you children, will pick up on a hobby. And the other ones will just kind of get right. into it with yeah, you. For real. Yeah. We it's have like our own little
1: posse. Name now. it. Right. We're all going
2: to learn how to <laughs> rock climb. Hey, we're going <laughs> to learn how to <laughs> sail. We're going to go the... sail the BVI. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ella, next we're going to learn how to paraglide. That'll be fun. Yeah. Right. Come on. <laughs> My little brother just took his uh, second paragliding lesson. Oh, and I was, so good. I was there for his first. And seeing just the look of like childlike yeah. joy, I was like, like oh, man, I'm Jojo. doing it. Yeah. I, I can live vicariously through you at this point because that is awesome. Yeah. and I understand that's so cool. what that felt like. Right, that's so good. So it's fun. It's fun going through life. Yeah, as you know, little little unit. Excellent. there's five of us, so it's actually not that little. But <laughs> yeah. no, medium unit. <laughs> yeah, medium, medium. But
0: you keep it as a unit. That's that's yeah. what you're most proud of. Mm-hmm. That's very good. It's excellent, man. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast mm-hmm. and coming to hang out. Absolutely, it's already been fun. <laughs> I'm so glad. This feels very good. So would you introduce us to Caleb Lasloffy a little bit? Let's talk mm-hmm. about where you grew up, how you grew up mm-hmm. and kind of get us through your life, maybe up to the end of high school. Some of the highlights like about your family or okay. about the way you grew up, anything like that. Yeah.
2: I grew up in Laurel, Montana, which is just south of Billings. Mm-hmm. I grew up on a small farm on the Fork River and I spent all 18 years of my life there until going off to college on the same piece of property. I have four siblings mm. uh, two parents <laughs> yep makes sense <laughs> <laughs> most people have at least two <laughs> right uh, growing up I was homeschooled may God bless my mother I K through 12 right K through 12 yeah I uh, spent two years at MSUB with some from, connection yeah, classes junior and senior yeah, year, but right Excellent. she put in some effort there all five of you were homeschooled all the way through uh, Shiloh wasn't okay Shiloh went right. high school yeah at Laurel
0: okay and you fall number four in the five siblings, correct? Correct. Okay. Yep.
2: So I'm not the baby. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you get to claim that. <laughs> ha <Ha-ha>,
3: Joe.
1: Gotcha.
2: <laughs> Excellent. So I grew up uh, in for- heavily involved with 4-H mm-hmm. and yeah. Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. I spent quite a bit of time in the mountains and surrounding area with my dad and brothers growing up.
0: Will you talk about the transformation that your family had over your 18 years living on that same property? Because oh, right, when your family got started there, right on the river, the property is not or was not what it is today. Certainly. What was that experience like?
2: So when they first bought the property, there was a dilapidated single-wide trailer on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on about 50 acres. And my dad's plan was to be a truck farmer. And I never really realized I came from a line of entrepreneurs. It's, it's only been retroactively that I've realized like what sort of effort yeah, yeah. Uh, some of my family has gone through. But right. that was my dad's effort. He bought this little farm and was going to truck farm it. And it was unexceptional when he first bought it, this piece <laughs> of land. Other than that, it w- had access to the river, which right. was awesome growing up. Oh, yeah.
0: absolutely.
2: And it's been amazing watching my parents move from the financial razor's edge mm-hmm. to when I was a kid. The only time I ever heard them fight was monthly. It was quite intense oh. mm-hmm. and it was always during bill time. It was the mm. budget meeting. It was the budget meeting. Whoa. And uh, so we went from there to my dad building a series of greenhouses and then starting doing hydroponic greenhouse farming. Mm-hmm. Right. Which was far more lucrative. Right. Which is great. They got a financial foothold. My dad ended up building a beautiful house there on that piece of property. I lived in the trailer house for 12 years i believe mm-hmm. man if, and if that's not right <laughs> <Your family's laughs> gonna my family will you? definitely let me know <laughs> well, and, and i think they yeah. lived in it for 16 years this wow seven of us in a single wide family trailer yeah. in a single wide trailer and was the situation like parents had a room sisters had a room brothers had a room yep my parents had a room on the far end yeah mm-hmm. and then there was a small girl's room because mm-hmm. there's only two girls in our family, right? And they had bunk beds, right? And that was about all there was room That's for. Yeah, all that, that could room. fit yep. in there with two and humans. Then, <laughs> and then the boys' room was on the far other end. Yeah, and that, that had a had like a full size and a couple or a set series of bunk beds for yeah. twins. Right, and so us three boys, you guys, were nice and packed in. Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder. Brother, if, I brother. wonder if
0: this has to do with how your family has stayed so close as a unit, yeah. like you stayed friends. Is yeah, it forced you to become friends. Otherwise, you were just going to rip each other apart.
2: Yes, I actually <laughs> think I think that is wow. a legitimate reason. Yeah, and it's something that I plan to replicate even synthetically oh. with my future family. Yeah. Right? All of the girls will live together. Uh, okay. All of this is predicated on the fact that my wife—that your agrees. spouse needs yeah, into it. Your yeah. Spouse would, yeah. <laughs> she needs to uh, be on board. Your obviously. future wife this is, is listening a, and is, is a team like, nah. right. <laughs> it's like, no, right? Ah, no, we're not doing no. this. Right?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, bud.
2: <laughs> this is fair. This is a good. This is a good disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I. But I would love to try and replicate that. Mm-hmm. Right. Live in a small house. A very beautiful and, and well-designed house, mm-hmm. but small. I want yeah. it to be small. Right. And then the boys get a room, the girls get a room, no matter the age difference. Right. And they get to learn with each other. They get to be mentored by the others and they don't get to avoid their problems. Mm-hmm. They are stuck with one another right. in this in yes. this
0: Relatively Share small a space. Room, it's impossible to avoid your problems when you live with <laughs> live in the same room with your right. problems. Yes. You will learn
2: you will learn robust communication and you will learn how to
1: And you will learn it fast. And how to
0: pick up after yourself to not annoy your siblings. Right.
1: Or to <laughs> as a group not pick up.
0: Oh, I mean
2: no. No. No.
0: <laughs> discipline,
1: Dixie. Discipline. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs>
2: So, yeah, that is uh, something that I think is integral to the fact that we're still very close. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of heated moments when we were in that trailer. Right. <laughs> especially between my sisters. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. My sister, oldest sister, is type A. Yeah. Super clean, very organized. She knew where everything was. <laughs> everything had its place. Absolutely. And then Sarah was, is not like that. <laughs> ah. So I remember one time... They were having this knockdown dragout argument, and it was over the number of bobby pins in Amber's drawer, because right. she knew how many she had, of course. and she knew that Sarah had taken one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're using it in your hair right now. <laughs>
2: and this this was like the big fight of the year.
1: Oh man! Oh man!
2: It was.
0: <laughs> it's hard to keep anything private when you're in a space like that. Right. Having
1: yeah. only sisters, I can literally envision this argument mm. that your sister's had. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I had the same argument with my sister. So. I don't get it. It's it's weird. We don't even get it. We're in the <laughs> argument and we don't get it.
2: You're And you're definitely <laughs> arguing about things that are far more important and yeah. uh, more subliminal than yeah. the fact that someone took yeah, a Yeah, it's pin. like, right. we're
1: talking about a bobby pin, but we're talking about mm-hmm. your mess on this side of the room also. <laughs> pick up your crap <laughs> talking there about all go. of that at once
2: i so to connect it with <laughs> yes. growing up sure my uh my dad built this beautiful house mm-hmm. and we got to live in it for i got to live in it for the last six years while i was on the farm and right even though we had space for like my brother and i to have our own separate rooms we decided to room together because i like Whoa. my little brother and
0: yeah <laughs> Didn't feel like we should you know, split up at that point. Right. Yeah. Like, we might as like well we've finish been doing my this for our we've been entire been life
3: and school That'd be so career. awkward
2: not to live in the same room.
1: Right. Yeah. Which knowing your parents house, the thinking of you and Josiah living <laughs> in the same room. After it was built, is kind of weird to think about. Yeah. <laughs> like there's so much room, and you still want to live in you
2: the had same space room. Available, the number, so you number, funny, the number of available guest rooms at one point was ludicrous. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> and you're
2: still like, this is we're still rooming.
3: Both beds.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So good. So, after you graduate high school, after mm-hmm. you graduate the home, essentially, because you were homeschooled most yeah. of the time there, yep. where did you go to college and what did you study?
2: I went to MSU in Bozeman Mm -hmm. and I studied bioengineering because the original plan was to go into medical school. Right. Oh. And I knew that bioengineering was a bankable degree even without an MD. Right. So it was was a backup plan. About three years in, I also decided to double major in chemical engineering because I was becoming increasingly disenchanted with the idea of going into medicine. Right. So that's what I graduated with, uh, Mm. degrees in chemical and bioengineering. And... I haven't used them a day in my life. Really? <laughs> I am exceedingly glad that I went to college. Yeah. I'm exceedingly glad that I finished. Mm-hmm. I'm also exceedingly glad that I did not use them a day in my life.
0: Interesting. What makes you glad that you haven't used them?
2: I started a small roofing business right when I graduated. Okay. And I knew I, I started on with this man who was very experienced. Yeah. And I told him from the beginning, I'd like to go off and I'd like to do this on my own. Yeah. The upfront investment was super low because. You don't need that many tools. I could fit everything in my Subaru, which yeah. was then actually a RAV4. So I knew that the barrier to entry was super small. Sure. Right. And I have seen many roofers and I just thought that I was as competent and intelligent right. as you those look men. Right. at it and you say, I could do that. I could do that. Yeah. yeah. And which th- is the beginning of any great entrepreneurial <laughs> venture. I like,
0: could do that. I think
2: I could probably <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> yeah. So I just told him, I said, I would like to work for cheap for you and I'd like you to teach me. And then when I feel competent, I'll go off on my own. Wow. And it only took one roof, actually, for that to happen because oh roofing gosh. is exceedingly elementary. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. It, it's it's uh, good it's, to know. <laughs> it's just back breaking and okay. hot gotcha. and hard. Yeah. But it's, it doesn't take an IQ of 146 or whatever. So. Mm, yeah. I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> no offense to the roofers out there. I mean, I've been doing it for three years at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I have a lot of respect. Yeah. A lot of respect for guys who can get on a roof. Any guys in the trades actually, mm-hmm. guys who expel intense amount of energy mm-hmm. every day, yeah, all day. Oh yeah, putting oh, yeah. together physical material that you can see come together. Yeah, for real. Keeping the world going. Uh, exactly. Yeah, very I much so, so. Much respect. Yeah, we have I, a lot of contractor friends. that
0: yeah. just get after it. My family yeah. is so admirable. Like
1: all of my family on my mom's side, they all lay carpet.
0: Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. and it's like It's the family trade. It's
1: just like you—you you can just tell. When someone is in a trade like that, it's just.
2: Mm. I've developed a fondness for blue collar people. Yeah. Yeah. I really love being around them. Gamaliel has a, uh, he's a third century Christian, Mm -hmm. really old. But he said, any learned man who fails to acquire a trade will at last turn out a rogue. Mm. And I think there is something so stabilizing and grounding to people who, for people who work in the trades and work with physical material and right. and exert effort in what they're doing? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to become uselessly theoretical. I think when you're working right. on a keyboard, maybe or on a level that you can't see, yeah, yeah like yeah. the microbe level or yeah. even smaller, like chemical engineering.
0: Often, <laughs> okay, so this is this is why you're actually not glad that you went that direction because you you like this entrepreneurial venture. Like-
2: I, d- I love the adventure. That's not really the reason.
0: Finishing a roof, finishing a project and being like, I just did that.
2: It's extremely gratifying. Yeah. Extremely gratifying. Okay.
1: I'm not going to lie. This is the first time I've ever actually thought about the fact that Jesus was a carpenter.
2: Right. Like, I mean, like yeah,
1: that I mean that in itself, it's like even Jesus was Worked. like, you work need it. a trade, bro. <laughs>
2: right. It seems so cliche. Yeah. This Carpenter from Nazareth. And you're like, and it just blows right like, over your head. Nobody guess, cares but...
1: about the carpentry. But uh, <laughs> that was his backup.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Do that to eat. Yeah, for real. Right. It's like, I'll build you a cabinet if you give me some food.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So my next question was, what do you
2: do for work? And this is mm-hmm. your
0: this is your roofing business. Yep.
2: Okay. I've been doing it for three years. Yeah. And we'll continue doing it for the next two months. Two months. And then What's I will next? absolve the business. And my brother and I have been working for two years on a development project in Bozeman mm-hmm. or the surrounding area. Yeah. And I won't go into too much detail because it's still in its infancy. You're right. But yeah. It is going to happen. <laughs> we've been with the county and we've gotten the series of permits that we need. Awesome. We've broken ground. Well, we've bought the land, broken mm-hmm. ground. We have financial investors. It's Awesome. Exciting as hell, man! <laughs> yeah, because you're
0: you're tapping into this long line of entrepreneurs that you can identify back and, through your family. Yeah,
2: and I literally did not realize that that was a lineage or a heritage it's in your blood until this year. Wow! Right? It didn't hit me until I just looked at my grandparents, my great grandparents, and my parents. Right? And saw finally, whoa! And it's like they're doing it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's hmm. so cool. It's really cool, I, and I'm very excited about the <laughs> yeah. next step. Right. roofing has been way better to me than i could have anticipated right yeah especially for something that when when i started people were like don't get stuck oh don't you don't want to break your back for your whole life yeah and i was like i want the freedom mm-hmm. now and so that's what i that's actually why i did it and why i'm glad that i haven't worked as a chemical engineer okay. because for the last three years i've had this unparalleled level of freedom
3: mm-hmm.
2: i don't think i could find anywhere else right. other at than, a
0: nine to five somewhere or right. that gives you two weeks of vacation without and, being my own boss. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And roofing is honestly
1: something mm-hmm. that like not saying that this venture that you're going into is going to go bad and you're going to ha- hit problems. Mm-hmm. But if something like that were to happen, it's something that you
2: could easily get back into.
0: Absolutely. It's a skill you've so, acquired. And
2: yeah. I, when I was going through college, one of the ways that I found purpose in what I was doing, mm-hmm. one was I didn't want to rely on, Authority, right? Mm-hmm. In interpreting information, mm. so I wanted to know that I was intellectually competent <laughs> in a way that allowed me to be kind of free from editorializing. Right. I wanted to go to the raw data or mm. raw ideas and know that I could approach those, right? Even higher level ideas, like in mathematics or whatever. That's cool. The second was that I never wanted my wife's decision to love me, my future wife's decision right. to love me force her to live in poverty mm. because I knew that I wanted to be entrepreneurial at some point. Yeah. But I always needed a backup. And so that's what chemical engineering was. Now I know that I even have a backup to my backup. Right. Which is a trade. Mm-hmm. And it's very... Uh, It allows me to proceed with confidence. Yeah. Yeah, That's good.
0: You're you're making the steps so you have like a foundation beneath you. Right. Right. Safety net.
1: Mm -hmm. While you're out there living your dreams, if you fall off that trapeze, it's like, (laughs) I'm good. I can always go back to roofing.
2: (laughs) Yep. Right. (laughs) Always. Always. (laughs) Everybody. uh, There's always the need. Yeah. For uh, labors.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. For real. What do you say to someone who hears that you're going into business with your brother and... (laughs) Who has the like, oh, never go into business with your family, man.
2: (laughs) What do you say to that? Well, I will not ridicule them. Yeah. Because I don't have any personal experience. Okay. Yeah. That said, I will say that my first fidelity is to my relationship with my brother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know from working together in the past, just on small projects or like renovations around the house, on the farm, that we work together well. We lived in a tiny house for two years together. Mm-hmm. We worked together mm. well. Yes. <laughs> Back to the, like sharing
0: the same bedroom exactly, kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: we since sold that and we moved into a, an actual house. Right. But we lived together for two years flawlessly in yeah. a 375 square foot house, mm. trailer. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> a box. Right.
1: Box. Yes. Box with a air conditioning, trailer. And so I know that if there
2: is conflict, I'm going to be able to talk to my brother yeah, and we're going to be able to approach it as equals, even though I'm younger than him and he's going to respect me and I'm going to respect him. Mm -hmm. And we respect each other as partners. Mm -hmm. And then second to that, or first actually ahead of that, I just know that if we were to ever need to, we would liquidate a business. Yeah. We would go through all the arbitration that we would need to, to figure it out. And At the end of the day, we couldn't be in business partners. That's fine. Right, We've attempted it and that's we've good. failed yeah. and we have learned, but we will always be brothers and we'll always be able to sit at the same dinner table, look in each other's eyes. I just know that. I huh. think
1: that's probably the biggest thing with people that go into business with their family. They don't have that like solid understanding that family comes first. Mm-hmm. Like most people that go into business with their family, it's like my brother kind of sucks and he's really unorganized <laughs> but and he's really but
2: talented. Yeah. It's
1: like, he's really <laughs> talented. So I'll guess I'll fund this. And then they fall into the, you're not doing things right. Or, you know, you're not doing things right. And then that falls apart instead of investing in the business, invest in the family first. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. being able to be like, we would not work well together.
2: <laughs> and I, the, I realize that I'm young and yeah. idealistic, but at this point in my life, I just know gut level that I am willing to, to do everything necessary to preserve that relationship. Yeah. Even if it means getting out of business together at some point. Right. Yeah. And I hope it doesn't lead to that because I love being in business with my my brother.
0: And there's a, there's a risk analysis to it. Like you've, you've projected ahead, like this is the worst case scenario that we have to arbitrate. We have to liquidate something, Mm -hmm. sign over my half of the business and let him just take it and I'll go do my own thing again. This is something I've always admired about you you were talking about like data collection and being able to interpret it yourself and not rely on someone else to do it like you are one of the most deep thinkers i know um are you familiar with the enneagram
2: yeah okay barely i'm not barely. like a nerd I would, about yeah, the enneagram. I would
0: hazard a guess if Welcome you've taken a test sanctuary. you've gotten 5
2: Your hazarding is correct <laughs> yes <laughs> very very good
1: good assumption um
0: so i i want to kind of get into some of your extra professional activities a lot of the outdoor activities you do all sorts Mm -hmm. of stuff but i want to start the conversation with a question about how you've developed your muscle for a risk assessment and risk analysis and being able to like go into something understanding like what's at risk and what are the things that are behind me that are set up as a safety
2: Yep, i know of this famous alpine climber named mark twight and they called him Dr. Doom because he was always analyzing the worst case scenario mm-hmm. right. in every situation, even benign, seemingly benign situations. And when I read that in his book, I felt a lot of freedom because <laughs> I realized that I want to do the same. So there was a lot of freedom right. that even men who have done a lot mm-hmm. in their lives, in their specific niche, mm-hmm. can think so clearly. Right. Right. And often catastrophically. I think with Mark Twight in, in particular, he lived through many, many years of alpine climbing through luck for sure. Mm-hmm. It was also a product of his hyper awareness right. mm. and his <laughs> depressing view of the world. <laughs> right. And so I try to do the same thing. I don't, especially with climbing, I don't ever want to die in the mountains. Yeah. yeah. And I think that would be a complete disservice to my family. Mm-hmm. And so, that's another reason.
0: Oh, that's an interesting take on it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have a saying that uh, when I'm training, that in the mountains, strength is competence. Experience is competence. Competence is safety. Safety is respect for those that you love.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. That's good.
0: Ooh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> that's so good.
2: I love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have a, a higher fidelity to my family and so right. i think there's an obligation there to assess things dispassionately mm-hmm. level-headedly right and and understand try to make what you're getting the best into. decision as possible yeah.
1: yeah right a big thing that i a skill that i admire a lot in people and honestly in myself is adaptability and i think that sometimes people just assume adaptability is just like on the spot like i can switch to anything whenever mm-hmm. i need to But adaptability takes a lot of forward thinking. Like it takes a lot of preparing beforehand. Mm -hmm. Like you still need to be prepared Mm -hmm. to be adaptable. I think so. And that's that's a thing that I've noticed in in you and honestly, in most of the people in your family, that preparedness and adaptability.
2: Interesting. I like the saying that confidence is born of two modes. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Competence. And ignorance.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh,
2: okay. So you can either step into something knowing what you're getting into, yeah. or you can be reckless and heroic, mm-hmm. and you might have the same outcome. Yeah. Wow. Statistically, you're not gonna have the same outcome <laughs> if you do that iteration a multiple very times. Very
0: little
2: chance. <laughs> <So> don't. Oh <laughs> <Yes>. yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if very you good. go into things, there's something to be said for getting the reps in, like doing your research beforehand
2: yep yeah and to people on the outside it might seem like you're jumping in but yeah. hopefully to you you know that if you bring it back to climbing you know yeah i might be climbing this poorly protected pitch it might be hard there might be objective hazards but i've spent so much time doing this yeah i've trained so hard right that at this point this risk doesn't actually seem risky right and that applies to yeah entrepreneurship you've, and-
1: you've evaluated the risk and it's the risk of it isn't as high as the
0: mm-hmm.
1: potential success.
0: And this is very much applicable to business and also just everything you do outside. <laughs> <laughs> so I oh, I was thinking through it earlier today. I was kind of trying to trace your major movements in outdoor activities. I tried to mm-hmm. narrow it down to seasons, like what do you do in the summer and what <laughs> you do in the winter, but even that was hard because some of them just kind of blend. Okay, <laughs> um, just So overlap. I remember very early in your life, like, uh, when you and I were getting to know each other, uh, we were going to the same church in the same youth group, mm-hmm. doing a lot of the same activities. You were the very first person who took me on a backpacking trip, an overnight trip oh, in yeah. the mountains,
2: up in the Sundance. We uh, went to
0: Cuyunabah Meadows, and <laughs> this was something that came out of Boy Scouts for you, correct? Just this the adventuring that was out part of it for sure. Yeah,
2: my dad's mentorship was key, and then my older brother's mentorship was key. Okay, so Boy Scouts gave me a lot of the. Knowledge, I guess, Mm -hmm. little outings here and there, the experience, winter camping. My dad is the one who started taking me hunting when I was eight.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: Shiloh was the one who took me into the high country for the first time. Nice. Mm. And there is one trip that was actually in the Sundance area. Oh, okay. Where we were. Oh, cool. And it was an eye opening experience for me. One of the most confidence inspiring trips of my life. Yeah. And I realized that. Wow. I can come to these places now. Right. right. I'm getting old enough. I have my access. legs can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my mind can handle it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And it was hiking, it was backpacking. Yeah. And it was just so freeing being up there. Right. We got we got snowed on in August. Yep. It was miserable and I just knew, wow, I can <laughs> I hang with my older this. brother. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. I loved it. The clouds were rolling in and out as we were going over this 10,000 105 Thousand foot pass. And I was just like, wow, this is astounding. Mm -hmm. Very few humans get the privilege of seeing this because they don't have the ability to get here. Mm -hmm. And I am nothing but thankful. And I would love to live my life here. Yeah If I could real. Oh my gosh But you gotta come off The mountaintop eventually so. Yeah I
1: won't.
0: that's true. <laughs> that's true But mess. if you could If you Shitty. could get away With never leaving Those meadows In that valley Oh man oh, I would very I much I love Quenaba. Make that happen It is happen. so gorgeous So
1: stinking pretty
2: You just walk around That corner And it's, it's just like I, Yeah it's, uh,
1: white tail just white like tail, freaking
2: ugh. and, and cool are that splits it bottom to top yeah, it's one of the most so striking pretty. features on any
0: mountain i've right. ever seen so pretty and to be honest i love the way you just described that like your trip with your brother because that's actually what you gave to me that very first time we went backpacking i was like i've been camping before right this isn't <laughs> no. that much different and then we started walking and i was like oh okay okay i'm into <laughs> something new here but you and i we hiked through a thunderstorm Yeah, We got into the meadows, which honestly in that whole valley, it's not very high, but the clouds were still beneath us. I remember Mm -hmm. setting up camp and we got there like as we were losing the very last of the light (laughs) and we were setting up with headlamps and we're setting up camp and we turn off the lights and we're sitting in front of the tent and watching lightning strike below us Yes, into the valley further below us. And it was just this wild like what did I get myself into here? (laughs) This is crazy. And I remember waking up the next morning and it was snowing on us. Uh You took an extra little hike up to Lake Mary and like, apparently you followed a bear because you were watching its tracks all the way (laughs) up the trail. You came down, you started making breakfast and your stove exploded. Right. (laughs) And, this this was one of the the, the moments for me. It was like, oh, I'm in Montana now. <laughs> <laughs> this I'm done. I am not at home. No, nope. I'm not like, camping on like, my back porch. This is a legit experience, yeah. right? This is an experience, and also like sometimes it's... things go very poorly. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Nature requires mm-hmm.
1: respect.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Did we have to
2: eat cold breakfast, or did
0: you? Yeah, we just ate cold oats, Ugh. just uncooked cold oats. <laughs> Man, you know that's a small price to pay. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> Yeah, I have such the fond amount. memories. Even cold oats
1: would taste so good. <laughs> and I've yep. been back up, up there in that
0: valley probably ten times at this point. After that first trip, I just fell in love with the whole activity. Good. And just, yeah, you oh. took
1: me up there after. Yep. After you went, you were like, "We have to go."
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it <laughs> was the, so The Beartooths are a special range. Yeah. Truly a special. They range. really it's are. Really beautiful. I knew there. that I was biased because I grew up around them and in mm-hmm. them, and that's where I learned to love the wild mount or yep. wild wild places and the mountains in specific. But I've been to quite a few mountain ranges in other places, and I just think that the Beartooths are spectacular yeah. and unique. Yeah, they really
0: yeah, they are. are. Um, you've also grown up on top of the Beartooths skiing. Yep. <laughs> when did you get into skiing?
2: We got into skiing when I was homeschooled. Yeah. We would go there, We'd go to Red Lodge Mountain the Tuesday, I guess the first and third Tuesday of February and March. Yeah. So we got to go four times and we would have to work during the summer, raise the money, and then my little brother and I would get in line and we would be the first on the chair. We would wait for almost an hour just to be the first on the chair. That's and so then we good. would always time it so perfectly where we would rush down and get almost the last chair. Yeah. Minutes before it closed. <laughs> and, and that was a good day of skiing. Yeah. We could hang all day. There was, this, Whoa. there was this desire to squeeze every moment of it yeah. out yeah. of there because we knew like, we only have four days up here this year. Right. This is, these wow. are precious few moments. So that's where I learned how to ski. Wow. I went to the dark side and started snowboarding for a while. And, oh. and those, rem- were, those I, were dark years. I remember those this. You got ridiculed for it. Man. I mean,
0: some people like Michael, he was very into it because you we were finally joining him as a snowboarder. Right. What a nerd. You've since gone back to skiing, though
2: oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah the good lord saved (laughs) me
1: yeah (laughs) he loves jesus okay
2: oh very good yes Uh, i'm just kidding but there is a uh level of just practicality Mm -hmm. that skiing affords you Mm -hmm. that is i don't think split boarding ever could so once you start backcountry skiing okay having two little sticks that kind of mimic walking sure on the snow really helpful yeah right and so this is very true. I got back into skiing okay. and I stuck with skiing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Will you educate me? Because I've heard the term so many times in my life, but I have no idea what it means <laughs> when the Lazloffies go to skin Red Lodge Mountain. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> my uncle commented on a Facebook post one time and was like, man, I don't even know if I should ask. What the hell is skinning?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: He's like, that group is co-ed as far as I can tell. And I, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> right. So skinning <laughs> skins are like a short haired carpet that with some adhesive on one side and the carpet on the other. And they go on your skis okay. and they're unidirectional. So you can slide your ski up. And then it'll grab on the way down. Oh, so that's a skin. Yeah. You stick it on the bottom of your ski and that allows you to walk uphill with certain. Oh, so when
0: you skin Red Lodge Mountain, you're walking up it to slide down it. You're not taking a chair. Right. Okay. And
2: and thankfully, Red Lodge has allowed uphill traffic before and after. They have some extra contingencies. Regulation. Yeah. But we just get up early. It's actually become one of my favorite Sunday morning routines. Okay uh sunday it's just a sunday morning for you i love it i love going up there so here's here's what i do i get up i leave my house at six forty five. it gets me to the base at eight which gets me to the top at about eight forty five. yeah mm-hmm. and then i get to sit up there and enjoy like a little cup of coffee or maybe read a small amount of a book so as the as the sun is changing the wow. angles on the the surrounding peaks which yeah. is like Silver Run Peak and Sundance Peak right yep. and then i ski down hopefully before anybody else skis down if there's any sort of new snow and then i go oh so you can break <laughs> yes. the powder yep yeah. uh-huh. and then i go to and then and then i go to Prindy's place in Red Lodge yeah. which is just this quaint cute little diner yeah. yeah it has zero pretension because now living in Bozeman I get all the pretension yeah. that I need. Oh, yes. fair enough. Yeah. I, am, yeah. I am I am I yeah. am overflowing with <laughs> extravagance yes. and affluence, right? Yes.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Bozeman. Yeah.
2: So when I go to Red Lodge, I, it's just this clean, unimpressive hole in the wall diner. Yeah. Those and are really my like favorite
0: it. places. This For is real? why the uh, Pelican in Laurel is yes. one of my favorite places to eat on yes. earth. Yep. There's nothing fancy to it. Like, you can get, like, bacon and eggs for $6 and just the worst diner
2: coffee. (laughs) The worst.
1: (laughs) But you still drink it. But it's romantic. So much of it.
2: There's
0: a romance to a diner like that that
1: I love so much. It's a classic diner.
2: The waitress is so kind.
0: (laughs) Yeah. She knows us every time we go. Yep. It's one of It's funny that she
2: knows us as the Bozeman boys because most of us aren't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. And she's like, yeah, y'all come in here about once a month and you just occupy a table for a few hours and we're like oh yeah that is us i mean (laughs) mean, that's fair we do that yeah we occupy the corner. people that come in here yeah (laughs) yep (laughs) it's cool because there's like a coffee clash that meets and then about eight a few guys come in and they belly up at the bar Mm -hmm. and then the cook comes out and he starts yeah dealing cards and they start playing poker like every morning
0: yeah and we're just watching the whole time like sipping on our coffee talking whatever whatever we're talking Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) laurel is a very special place (laughs) it's so yeah
0: it's very good so i'm i'm essentially working my way into climbing now because backpacking is a lot of there and back Mm -hmm. skiing sometimes skinning like it's a lot of there and back at a greater incline yep when did you start getting into like bouldering and rock climbing where it's like just up and down climbing cliff walls now yeah
2: i can remember even when i was young in boy scouts loving any climbing that we got to do. Yeah. Which is often on an artificial wall. Any repelling. I remember just being fascinated with the, what the guys were doing, what knots they were using, what systems they were using. Yeah. And I would literally, I, I was too embarrassed to ask any questions because I didn't know anything. Sure. But I was just enamored and I'd watch <laughs> and I'd I'd just try to figure out what they were doing. And then if I didn't know something, I'd go and scour forums for hours. Yeah.
3: Right. right. I didn't
2: have a mentor in climbing, which I wish I would have. It probably would have, mm. you know, made it a lot less sketchy. Yeah. But I was able to make do. Yeah. (laughs) And get through that pretty steep learning curve. Okay. So I remember being interested even when I was a kid. And then in high school, I had the money to buy a rope and some shoes. And so I got into top roping on Mm -hmm. the rims surrounding Billings. Right. And we would get done with co-op. We're just high schoolers. I (laughs) I just love the freedom that we had sometimes. Yeah. God bless my parents. (laughs) It's true. Literally. (laughs) I am so thankful. I think about it now. I'm like, man, it's going to take...
0: You were getting addicted to that level of freedom, even when you were homeschooled yeah. at this level. And this is what, I think I about it now. what you do for work is just perfect for you. Yep. So awesome. we would
2: go out after co-op and just enjoy a few hours on the rims Yeah. and learning, progressing, getting ever better. We would practice multi-pitching, even on single pitch routes, where, mm-hmm. you know, where you'd go to the top and then bring everybody else up. You'd hang there and then you'd practice rappelling. And then uh, Mitch, our youth pastor, was the first one who took me out on a lead wall he explained the process to me, how to keep it safe, and how to clip bolts, and so showed me how to do it, Got and then into it, yeah. threw me on a 5.8 and it was awesome. And I was oh psyched. Gosh. And I was like, "Oh okay, gosh!" Well, I need to get on one that I'm gonna fall on. So then I hopped on like a five ten B, and then just proceeded to whip all over it, <laughs> just fall after fall, you know. Confidence is born of two modes. It's true. That was ignorance. That was that one. Completely. And this is where you're growing your risk analysis muscle too. Yeah. (laughs) And I've since realized that it's super safe falling on bolts. Mm. Yeah. But there was a period where I, my confidence level was, you know, high Mm -hmm. and then it looks like a,
0: like a, a cosine curve,
2: you know, it drops down. Yeah, and then I was like really scared of falling for a long time, and then it's been a slow, gradual recovery. I've up. always okay. been at you the know? other side of that, just right? It's <laughs> just On the always other side of the. I remember even. going
1: to Lions Ridge, and the first time that we went rappelling, the when I went to Lions Ridge and Josiah actually was like if you don't do it you're going to regret it everyone mm. else is doing it mm-hmm. this isn't going to break this rope isn't made of licorice like, right, this you're going to be car. okay you've watched all these
0: people do it already <laughs>
1: yes you just watched Mitch jump off the cliff <laughs> and just barely save himself at the bottom you're going to be fine just like yeah, <laughs> open it up
2: and <laughs> I remember that. yeah Dude, this, wild and man. Josiah
1: was the one that said that to me and I was like okay and I cried okay. all the way down Good. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, but it was worth, but you it. Did it. It, was worth did it. It was worth it. You can say you did, I did it.
2: it. <laughs> and I can honestly say that there have been times in the mountains where I have cried. Yeah. Wow. And I'm glad I've been there, but it was over. And in the moment, it was completely overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. But those times are the times that grow you.
1: For real. Yeah. yeah.
0: The magnitude of those things really start hitting you. Yeah. <laughs> and you let your mind kind of slip into the wrong mode. Right. Have you ever messed with Free Solo? The movie? But the movie or just the activity, have you ever free soloed?
2: Nope. Okay. I, my dad. And you
0: probably won't because born of your respect for your family and safety.
2: Uh, I think I could with good will and conscience solo some stuff now. Okay. My dad, I don't know if it was foresight or what, but when I first started climbing, he said, just promise me that you will never free solo. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's no problem like five six scares the shit <laughs> out of me so you know it's not gonna be an issue <laughs> right. and, and and so now i am still you when know you might have a little under confidence that contract for yeah so it keeps me from free soloing okay what did you it, think of that film i thought it was incredibly impressive
1: mm-hmm.
0: incredibly impressive yeah. Uh, my hands were sweating so bad Dude, just sitting in a movie theater. We know how it ends
1: yeah. and it was like I'm, I know. I'm losing my mind amazing. right now.
2: It's <laughs> I've aid climbed routes that he has free soloed mm-hmm. and the thought of being up there you know I would stop every once in a while and just look down and like kind of feel the crack be like that is nauseating. Yeah. yeah. That's absurd. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It, it, he those, has
0: a superhuman are... way of like manipulating his brain to get him through something like that I think. Yeah for
1: real.
2: Yeah, I think he has an issue. <laughs> no, I I really think he yeah. has. Yeah. Like his dad had Asperger's. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think he has an ability to sociopathically.
0: Right.
1: Like turn Become off.
2: dispassionate. Yeah. We
0: should mention this is Alex Honnold for anyone listening who wants to look this up. Right. And if you look up Free Solo film, yeah, uh, it'll, you'll, find you'll find it, it everywhere. And, You're going to be very and stressed out. You, you, you should, should watch it. You should absolutely watch it. What? I mean, it's one of my favorite cinematographers does the movie. Jimmy yeah. Chin mm-hmm. is an absolute master. Yeah, for real. Um, with Free Solo and Maru before that, oh, right? That film was spectacular. <laughs> the way they set up Free Solo, and they they have so many shots of him practicing some of the crux moves mm-hmm. of the climb. It's like if you mess this up, you're done for. Mm-hmm. And they spend so much time on it, especially that like that backwards side thing where he has to like straddle that corner.
2: Yeah. The stem corner. They yeah. run
0: it so many times in the film, like him practicing and him falling that when he's finally rope free and actually up there, like they get to that spot. And I remember listening to an interview with Jimmy after that. He's like, I actually in good conscience, could not put that shot. Like I had the camera there, but I couldn't put that in the movie mm-hmm. just because like, I, in fact, I think he said he actually pulled that camera off the wall because he's like, I cannot in good conscience have my camera be the thing that injects that little bit of anxiety into Alex yeah. on that move mm-hmm. because otherwise it's just, it's all over.
2: I really appreciated that they went into some of those considerations in the film. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And they talk about like the decision making he was doing as a filmmaker
2: right oh. oh I really loved
1: how they like he didn't tell them he was going to climb it like they just set everything up and then when he did it he just they woke did up <laughs> he just woke up that morning he's like yeah this is the morning it's, it's this is the
0: morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and I love uh, once he gets back to his van at the bottom they're interviewing him about it like you just did something legendary what are you going to do now he's like i probably do some pull-ups
2: in my van
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I missed my workout Jeez. today so
2: <laughs> yeah he's like I'm going to hang board for a bit <laughs>
1: I'm like, oh my
3: god! I'm sorry. You? What?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, so this is a corner of the sport that you will not mess with under yeah, contract nope. with your father. Yep, this was a wise move, I think, from yes. him.
2: Yes. Yeah, it's also really simplified it because it's the decision so it's, is
0: pre-made if somebody yeah, invites exactly. you to try. Yeah, it's so it's easy, easy
1: just easy to, to say know. no. Be like, mm-hmm. I made this decision a long wow. time yep. ago. A lot
2: of the times, even if I feel a little bit uncomfortable, like approaching a climb on some technical terrain. I'll often ask to put a rope on so that we can both simul climb just so I can, you know, look my dad in the eyes and be like, hey, I,
1: I was safe. Yeah, I was safe. <laughs> yeah, we smart about that's it. That's good. Yeah,
0: this is good. How well do the skills for rock climbing translate into ice climbing, which is another one of your big mm-hmm. activities?
2: There's some differences in philosophy when you're doing one or the other. Yeah. With rock climbing, you can really project a route and you can develop a respect for falling but you can fall often hundreds of times and it's safe and the ropes are dynamic and it's mm-hmm. always a little bit harrowing when you're falling <laughs> and then you get that rush of adrenaline afterwards and like yeah that was while you're, you're hanging there let's do it and again, and again. Like, <laughs> again. <laughs> let's do it again we'll try it again <laughs> it was like no i got the move i was missing a hold i can do it now yes <laughs> with ice the philosophy is you never fall mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. fall because if you fall you are either going to snap both your ankles snap both of your like tib-fib or break your back or die. Mm Right. Ice falls are generally quite catastrophic. Mm -hmm. So there's just a there's a level of mastery that you need to obtain before you progress in ice climbing Mm. that you just don't need to worry about when you're rock climbing. Right. Sure. You need to make sure that you're staying safe in rock climbing, but there's just a lot more margin for error.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, and with ice climbing, it's very uncertain what the terrain, so to speak, is going Mm -hmm. to be like when you do it. Right. Because like you, you can't... develop
2: a an intrinsic gut level knowledge yeah. of what the ice can handle. Right. Born of a thousand ice tool sticks.
1: Right. Literally.
2: Okay. <laughs> I, it's amazing how just getting mileage on ice changes the way that you ice climb. Even if it's never getting harder. Right. Just going up and down and up and down and right. up and down. You Seeing just begin to interact things, with yeah. the ice in a completely different way. And you realize mm. like how it fractures, what it's going to like, where it's going to fracture. Right. Ice has. A ton of different feelings. Like it can mm-hmm. be sticky, it can be brittle, it can be uh like a shell, it can be snowy, kind of styrofoamy, mm-hmm. rotten. It's weird. There you wouldn't think that there is such a an array I would just look at it and be ice like ice types. That's a frozen waterfall. Yeah. That's neat. One thing I would say though, that philosophy of not falling yeah. applies to ice leading. And if yeah. you want to do anything in the big mountains, yeah. you need to learn how to ice climb. Yeah. If anybody ever asked you to go ice climbing. You should, because you will be on top rope, and you will realize just how incredibly solid ice is. Okay. Right.
0: So top rope is anchoring to something other than ice over the crest of the of the falls,
2: right? Yeah, it's just where the the rope runs to the top and then back down to you. So yeah. that if you fall, you you just sag into your harness. Right. Versus when you're lead climbing, if there's a piece of protection three feet beneath you, yeah, you're gonna fall six feet because yeah. you fall that distance. Plus right. the rope again.
0: To the right. bolt, then beneath the bolt. Yep. And yeah. then whatever rope
2: stretch you have. So that's lead climbing. Right. Which is what most people think of, I think, when they think of climbing. Yeah.
0: Right. Topper is it a, is it a lot harder to trust an ice bolt over a rock bolt? Or do you learn Not how to do that as you well? see
2: what they can handle. Okay. And obviously the type of ice makes a huge difference. Yeah. Right. The mechanics of an ice screw are fascinating. <laughs> really fascinating. And they are so efficient and you can just kind of start them, like screw them into the ice a little bit. And then they have this big handle mm-hmm. and, it goes, goes, and it goes like right in and then you just clip it and it seems so solid, right? In solid ice. Yeah. Crazy. I would, if ice falls weren't so disastrous, I would fall on them all day long.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're confident in yeah in, in, those... in good yeah. blue ice. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. We were actually out this year and a partner took a fall. Mm. Yeah. And I heard about it was this. the first time that I'd ever seen someone fall on ice and it was on a grade that was well within his means, well right. within his means. And he just uh, had one bad stick and it blew and he fell about 30 feet probably and hit his back and ended up fracturing his back and oh. then his hip in three places. Gosh, Oh man, very severe. Yeah. It, and it was a humbling process being with him for seven hours until oh, I think the whole ordeal was nine Mm -hmm. Before we got him to the ambulance, right? A search and rescue had to come, and we had to put him on a litter and lower him down.
0: Yeah, you are certified in wilderness first aid and some. I have my, I had my
2: EMT and wilderness first responder at some point. Yeah, Um, I have no need to be credentialed, so I'm not. Gotcha. But I do think that if you're going to be out, you should have a baseline level of trauma medicine. Yeah.
0: Well, and again, this goes back to like your knowledge of the risks, being able to weigh that against. Like the benefit Mm -hmm. of just even the adrenaline of doing this, the sport in Mm -hmm. of itself.
2: Right. Yeah. Right.
0: Okay. That's crazy. Where should we go next? Uh, you were mountain biking yesterday.
2: I was. (laughs) Is this new for you or have you been mountain biking your entire life? Nope. Mountain biking is a dirty, dirty disease. (laughs) And it has been the end to many a great climber. Okay. And I refuse half jokingly, half seriously to get involved or to get into mountain biking seriously. Okay.
0: Because there's so many like wrist, arm, ankle, like all sorts of limb injuries that come no, from falls. Or it's just
2: super fun and people <laughs> yes. really like it. Yeah. Oh, and it claims the yes. avid climbers it's and like, just puts you, them on a you bike just and it's transition stuff. to uh, being see. mountain bikers. I, yep. Gotcha. Okay. So that's the, I'm just being obstructionistic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you've dabbled. But I
3: you
1: do. <laughs> you're not committing you 100% a
2: 85% of being in the mountains is who you're in the mountains with. Right. And there are certain people that I can't get into the mountains with unless I participate in their sport of choice. Right. And so that's why I yeah <laughs> go mountain biking. Gotcha.
1: But only with the, that person. <laughs> I'm not going to do it on my own. Well, you're not
2: going to know about it if I do it on my own. <laughs> that's fair. fair. That's right. fair. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Before we get into some water and air sports mm. that I've seen you participate in. I remember it was a number of years ago. You and Shiloh went on an expedition in Canada Mm -hmm. and there was a major scare with that trip. Do you mind telling that story and like what happened?
2: Not at all. I'll try to keep it brief. (laughs) I was in my freshman year of high school. So that means he was newly in college. Yeah. And we headed up to the Bugaboos in British Columbia, which are these beautiful granite spires that just jut out of the glacier in the Purcell wilderness. Mm-hmm. And they're home to some of the most classic rock climbs in North America. Mm-hmm. I had done a few multi-pitch climbs at that point, never in the bigger mountains, never in like mountains, mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we were jumping in with both feet. We drive up there and we're driving in. There's avalanche debris across the road that doesn't have any tire tracks in it. So we know we're the first people in there that year. We proceed to hike in and there's loads of snow Mm -hmm. we camp at the hut which is usually full of people and it hadn't even opened yet Uh, but they leave it open for we were later to find out emergency traffic only (laughs) so we we set up we set up shop we do some some scouting and and we're looking up at the peaks and we're like okay yeah you know those look like there's definitely snow up there but and this is a rock climb mind you Yeah, yeah this wasn't an ice climb there's definitely snow up there but I think we can make it work. It yeah. doesn't look like it's on the technical vertical rocket. It looks like it's on the ridges. Right. Okay. And so we wake up at 3.30 the next morning and start hiking across the glacier. It takes a lot longer than expected. And we mm-hmm. get up to the technical climbing like five hours later. We rope up. We start climbing. The first four pitches are glory. They are so good. <laughs> Being in that position, the clouds are rolling in and out. It was like spitting snow at times. Mm-hmm. felt super alpine, but we're rock climbing. It felt like the culmination of like so much effort. Yeah. The top six pitches turned into wider like cracks and chimneys mm-hmm. and they were filled with snow and ice. Mm-hmm. And it was so slow. It was slow and it was pretty scary because I'd have to take an ice axe, which is not even a technical ice axe. And I would clear out the cracks and I'd put a cam in and make sure there wasn't ice on the lobes. I would have to dig out handholds at, at points. and. Mm-hmm just excavate these cracks so that i can yeah, climb on it was right. super slow we finally got to the top of the technical climbing the 10th pitch at 4 p.m mm-hmm. so we've been climbing for 12 and a half hours mm. and the descent which is much easier than the climbing is on the other side of this knife edge ridge that's probably an eighth of a mile long right and so we start doing this traverse that ends up being so much more complicated when there's that much snow we're doing pendulum traverses repels Scary unprotected traverses. It really started to get super real. And then finally we made it to the other side and we started wrapping the route and it's getting pretty late, it's seven or so. We continue repelling and we get to this set of anchors that is, seems to lead to nowhere. And we're like, okay, well, we don't know where to go. The sun is below the horizon and getting dark. Gosh. And we have a sat phone. So we try to call.
0: Yeah. And once the sun's below the horizon in the mountains, you lose light Fast, it's like insane. That. You don't think yeah. that it would go mm-hmm. that fast. No, it's wild.
2: Even and we had quite a bit of daylight because it's June in Canada, the north, very the north, yeah. Yeah. Very north. <laughs> and still, it was fading quickly. So we make this rappel, this thirty meter rappel, leads us absolutely nowhere. Puts us like on the center of this two thousand foot seemingly impenetrable face. I started getting really nervous and I had that moment where the panic, I know we've all had it, mm-hmm. the panic rises up in you oh, yeah. and you just, you can't choke it down. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, okay, Shiloh, Shiloh, we're going to repel this face. I was like, we're going to leave all of our rack, all of our protection right. on this face, but we're going to get down this way. And I start searching for cracks to put protection in so that we can make a repel. And there's nothing. And I am so thankful that there was nothing because we would have literally just started heading down that huge face. Mm-hmm. Gosh. With a 30-meter rope, which is just short. Yeah. We didn't have a, a tagline, so we couldn't do 60-meter rappels. Gosh. I can't find anything. We're both hanging on this rope. And I'm like, okay, man, we have, to, we have to ascend. So we start ascending the rope. It's completely pitch dark. Oh, by the way, that sat phone call, nobody picked up. So we couldn't get any more information on the route from people who had climbed it before. Gosh. So I get to the top. We're exhausted. We had been going for uh, 20 hours at that point. Mm-hmm. Shallows coming up behind me. And then I, feel, I hear this, ah, oh, <laughs> like, what's wrong? What's wrong? He's like, I crapped my pants.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I was too tired to laugh, but I just smirked and was like, this is the height of absurdity. Oh, what my. is happening? Oh, my. So we're and <laughs> we can't do anything about it. Yeah. So we both get up to the belay. And I'm like, all right, well, blame me continuing on this sort of ridge. And I get out. Build a belay, take him to me. At that point, it's impenetrably dark. You can't see anything. Mm-hmm. And so I tie us off to a boulder and we're like, all right, we're just going to have to wait. It's starting to get cold. It's definitely below freezing. There's a wind chill. I bet it was probably near zero with the wind chill. Gosh. And Gosh. and we had systems for staying warm in a shoulder season, but not in winter conditions. And these right. were winter conditions. Yeah. So we're getting cold. We have this pitiful moment where we enjoy our last thing of fruit snacks and a <laughs> cheese stick together oh wow and then we realized that we're getting super cold i realized at first when i put my hands into my armpits and my armpits weren't warm which just means all the warm blood is right not in your periphery anymore. not
0: right. even in the warmest spots of your body
2: periphery yeah it's not in your appendages so i'm like so we're like we have to start walking so we just start walking in place attached right. to this boulder one side is a cornice with like a thousand foot drop and one side is just a rock wall of 1500 feet Gosh. And we're just on this knife edge ridge. We don't know where to go. Yeah, how wide is this ridge? Uh eight feet, probably. Good crazy. We're both and we're attached in the whole time. So we're just walking and walking and walking. And then all of a sudden I see Shiloh's feet kind of I mean, I'm Slow looking down. down. They just start slowing down. And then he stops. And then he wavers a couple times and then falls flat on his face, wakes himself up. Gets back up and starts walking again.
1: Oh my gosh. And
2: that literally happened to us both probably 50 times throughout the night. You're just walking and then you are woken up by hitting the ground. Right. Just exhausted. We eventually decided that it was probably a good idea to let someone know what the situation was. Because we were getting pretty freaking cold. Yeah. And we made a sat phone call to one of my brother's friends who is, his parents are good friends with my friends. And his dad heard the phone call at the wee hours of the morning and was like, if you don't call the Lazloffies, I'm going to. And so Max gets on the phone and tells my parents what's up. They call us. My dad is like, I'm not going to panic. He's like, we will certainly be praying all night and I will have search and rescue notified so that if you don't call us at 6 a.m. When the sun comes up, he's like, they'll be like, they will be there. Spooled and ready yes. to go. Yeah. We walk all night, make a horrible decision a couple hours before the sun comes up to sleep and it wasn't even a conscious decision shiloh just stopped and he sagged down and he put his head on his backpack and just fell asleep and i was like oh well i mean if my brother older brother's doing it i guess that's fine but none of us were thinking clearly yeah yeah we fall asleep wake up with the sun it took an extraordinary effort of will to start moving again Mm -hmm. it was it was like you know at absolute zero when all movement stops? Yeah. That's what my body felt like. Right. Wow. Right. I'm like, Shallow, I need you to blaze me out along this ridge more. And so he blazed me out and I find the last rappel anchor, chop it out of the ice. Shallow climbs over to me, took an extreme effort of will to get him moving too. I've never seen him so inert. Make that last rappel. We know that we're good because we can see our descent now. Mm-hmm. And it's just a series of big, steep snowfields. Yeah. Right but we forget to call my parents. Right. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. So we call them at 615 and we're like, hey, we are warming up. We found the last rappel. We're going to be OK. And my dad's like, oh, the chopper's already in the air.
3: And I was like, no.
2: <laughs> so we hear the rumble yeah. of the chopper yeah. coming into the Cirque and it yeah. makes a few passes and then sees us. And I had just learned the yes or no commands to a helicopter. To wave them off. To wave them off. Accept. And so I kept doing no, no, no. And and the guy was like, no, no, no. Yeah. I was like, no. It's like, we're going to finish this thing. Yeah. And So they um, fly away and we spend four hours hiking back. And I think the whole ordeal was, you know, 36 hours ish. We got back and crashed for the day and just In Very warm sleeping bags. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get the... Feeling fully back in our toes for a few weeks afterwards, it was. Did you ever get cold. frostbite? It wasn't frostbite. It never turned colors or. Uh, but it, we just lost sensation yeah, for right. weeks. Yep. Gosh, until it came back.
0: That is wild.
2: It was a. It is remains probably the most harrowing climb experience I've ever had. Yeah, kind of the biggest epic, and I got to go back this year to the same cirque, and the difference that experience makes <laughs> yeah. it was astounding oh. yes. we got to climb routes that were twice as big and we did it in 14 hours camp to camp approach climb down i mean simulclimbing, climbing huge like 500 foot sections mm-hmm. it, it was so unexpected and so redeeming to be back in the same place yeah. and just operating on a different level you realize competence experience yeah. strength like yeah those things was shiloh
1: though. with you this time unfortunately not no Let's be yeah. like this is where you pooped yourself <laughs> 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 Take
2: oh a man of the this spot. is where
1: we forgot to call our mom and dad yeah. so much of it
2: so much of it was conditions dependent <laughs> yeah. and i'm super thankful or super proud of us at the time that we stuck with it and right and and we climbed that route in winter conditions yeah mm-hmm. It's just not a decision I would ever make again. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> I feel like that's a smart decision. <laughs> Gosh. So yeah, that's,
2: it was harrowing. Gosh, that's you know, crazy. Yeah. I and, believe it. And I know those, those stories can often be, you can kind of be made the hero. Yeah. But it should be admitted that we were ignorant. Yeah. And motivated mm-hmm. and young and dumb. And that's what got us into that situation. Some strength and determination got us out of it, but it's just not a place that you want to, put yourself in. Mm. So, you know, for everybody learning how to climb, don't memorialize bad decisions. Yeah.
0: Right. Looking back on it though, like what have you learned about yourself since that moment?
2: You know, honestly, there was very little climbing has taught me so much. Yeah. Not in that specific situation though. Really? Okay. Shallow and I were operating on kind of a sub subliminal level. Okay. A subconscious level. Mm Mm-hmm. And we didn't get to think it through because we were just in the midst of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We never thought we were going to die. We never had those, those, that level of existential concern. Mm -hmm. And so we never, we didn't walk away with any, you know, lasting profundities. Okay. Other than you need to get better. (laughs) You need to know conditions. Let's not do that again. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I like being able to
1: feel my toes. And we tapped
2: into a, a level of, human effort that we had never done before right which is very cool and very rewarding push the limits of exhaustion yeah exactly (laughs) to its corners our corners yeah yeah and there's men in and women in patagonia that do 36 hour pushes all the time that's just normal that's just their thing. 72 hour pushes good gravy people in the himalaya
0: i oh do you have designs
2: or dreams of doing
0: himalayan climbs at all i don't think so
2: no it's it's really dangerous and really expensive and another level I love the alpine style climbing mm-hmm. more than like expedition climbing. Sure. Right. Expedition climbing is when you think of like an Everest climb, that's yeah. an expedition style climb. Right. It takes a certain sort of man to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I am wired that way. Yeah. I want to be well, considerate of the other priorities and values in my life. Yeah. Right. And I'm not sure that I could ever prioritize climbing enough that would allow me to become competent enough to safely and successfully operate in the Himalaya. Gotcha. Right. So that's probably... Yeah, I see. Know, that good. might change. That well, might
0: change. I don't know. I mean, like reading into thin air, mm-hmm. the way he climbs the mountain and being conscious of like the, some of these flags are marking bodies that they've never been able to pull off the mountain mm-hmm. and they just keep going. It's like <laughs> that would be such a different environment yeah. To, yeah. to be working your way up that beast, you know, that's wild.
2: And to continue being constantly reminded, you know, yeah. by... There's a few dead bodies on most every route on Everest. There's quite a few. You have to walk past. Yeah. They're markers. You turn left at green boots or whatever. Right. And that's just, you know, how they're known. Nobody knows their names. Yeah. It's very unceremonial. It's kind of grotesque, but it's also a good reminder of.
0: Like you said, it's a different, it's a completely different level. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Wild. So let's warm up a little bit metaphorically and talk about how you and your family got into sailing. That
2: is completely my brother's doing. Mm -hmm. I got us into climbing and he got us into sailing. Okay. He had this dream. He grew up in Montana, spent his whole life there. He had this dream of learning how to sail. And so he gets, (laughs) gets in touch with a school down in the British Virgin islands. We rent, I think there were six of us. And then the skipper, Mm -hmm. we rent a 42 foot monohull for eight days. And it's just kind of a crash course in sailing. It was a lot to learn in eight days. Mm -hmm. But since then, We are certified to charter up to 52 foot boats. We've since gotten our catamaran certification and it's really fun putting together trips that the whole family can go on. Right. And and Shiloh is the mastermind. He is absolutely the mastermind. Right. Uh, But it's pretty cool. The places that we've been. Yeah. uh, The things we've gotten to do through the vehicle of sailing. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun that my entire family is Able to participate, yeah.
0: It's like an annual event at this point,
2: yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, yep. So good. We
2: might not go this year because my sister is pregnant with twins, okay. Yeah. And yeah. you know, they're just an integral part to the experience, yeah. yeah. So, we were going to go to the Bahamas, but we might push it back. Mm.
0: What about surfing? How'd you get into surfing?
2: Yeah, man, I am not into <laughs> surfing, I would like to be into surfing, and really? I really I thought you were at it. Oh. <laughs> Sucks so bad. You gave it a shot. You gave it in. I've given try. it an honest effort at this point and a continuing effort. I'm not done with it. Sure. I'm I've spent 20 days out. on the ocean dedicated to surfing. Wow. Morning sessions, night sessions in Costa Rica twice and then in Guatemala. Wow. And then Hawaii. Yeah. And I suck at it. <laughs> I am horrible. <laughs> I can generally gain an operating level of competence in a sport. Yeah. Relatively quickly. Okay. I cannot. can't figure it out the ocean scares the (laughs) out of me so i'm always scared okay (laughs) the mechanic i just don't understand it as well the ocean is foreign having grown up in montana my whole life so yeah i haven't given up on it but i am by no means where i want to be okay given the amount of effort that i've put in gotcha Mm.
0: do none of the balancing skills you gain from snowboarding or skiing transfer to just a completely different medium
2: I've noticed actually that dropping in on a wave and keeping stable was definitely helped by my time snowboarding. okay, but there's so much that leads up to that, mm-hmm. yeah, that I have trouble with
0: getting out in front of it and actually standing up that yeah. moment when timing you the wave.
2: Up. yeah, timing the wave, Gosh. dropping in at the correct time, yeah, standing up, and then after that, are you on a good part of the wave? Mm-hmm. right Which side is it crashing on? like which side should you turn to? Are there other people you need to be cognizant of? There's all these split second decisions yeah that Ooh. i'm just really bad at Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. and i'm amazed the more that i do it i'm amazed at good surfers mm. yeah i've always said that if the mountains didn't exist i would be a surfer okay <laughs> instead of climbing yeah and, and
1: now you're like well
2: yeah I maybe not. i wouldn't
1: i guess not because
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really sucks to suck and i yeah. suck right yeah oh
0: my
1: gosh that Was a nice dream uh, <laughs> guess not
0: Thank you for listening to No Normal People this week. If you like what you're hearing, the best place to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts or Facebook.com, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a one-or-two-sentence review.
1: You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod. That's K-N-O-W, PeoplePod. Also, be sure to use our hashtags, People and hashtag K-N-P.
0: If you haven't been there in a while, we have a newly designed website over at nonormalpeople.com. And while you're there, you can check out the store where we have podcast artwork featured stickers. And coming soon, we'll have a locally roasted and packaged No Normal People coffee blend.
1: Hi there, my name is Dixie Lee and I am the host of Author's Intent. As a movie addict and book enthusiast, I both love and hate the decisions some directors make in book adaptations. Join me as we go through the best books this world has to offer as we dive into what the author intended. We'll talk about the things that were done well, as well as some of the major faux pas in some of the most beloved stories. Season 1, Episode 1, we will be diving into the wonderful world of Harry Potter, starting, of course, with the Sorcerer's Stone. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at AuthorsIntent. And a special thanks to Louis Zong for the use of his song Melody Meadows off of his album Levels.
0: So one of your most recent activities has been paragliding. Where on right. earth? Did, where on earth did this come from? And uh, well, it's well, like, not how, on earth. How did you get into this?
1: It's flying. So technically, uh, watching you on Instagram,
0: <laughs> you're one of the other people in my life that I I watch you on like Instagram stories, and I'm just like, what even? What are you? <laughs>
3: what are you doing? What do you do?
2: <laughs> I have this philosophy that if someone has done it before me, yeah, I can probably do it. Mm. That doesn't apply to extraordinarily risky things, yeah, or exceptional performances. but if if someone or a group of people has done something, they're human, that's my standard as a human. Mm-hmm. I can feel the freedom to participate in that if, if I want to. right yeah. that's kind of the idea. OK. So when I see people flying off the M in Bozeman, or when I see videos of paraalpinists, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can do that someday.) <laughs> And it took time. I had to get out of college and I had to save up some money mm-hmm. because being broke is not as glamorous as people make it sound yeah. sometimes. Yeah. No way. And so once that happened, I took a school. There's an instructor. His name is Andy in Bozeman. And he's just extraordinarily knowledgeable. He has the distance record in Montana. Wow. And jeez. so he taught us. And he'll teach anybody. Now you're just into it. I, really, if you want to go, you can pay $200 and Andy will take you out to the practice hill one morning. Yeah. He'll teach you how to forward launch on a flat surface. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he'll take you up to the top of the hill and you fly. He, you're on the radio, so he's telling you what to do. But literally, you're you flying. just got here two hours ago. And you're flying. It's the first time you've ever touched no. a paraglider. And then you are flying through the air. Wow. And it So when I was talking about my brother being just giddy with delight. Yeah that's what that's what that day was yeah yeah he had just done his first flight and him and steven were both just elated like yeah. in a way that a lot of adults don't get yeah. right but very very rarely yeah yeah and uh, it, was, it was good to see oh. it's an extraordinary experience the first time i took off or the first time i was about to take off there was this experienced pilot and he's like prepare to be reborn <laughs> <laughs> And i was like i was like even if a bit overstated I get your point. I get it. Right. Now. I get it. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> I am a new man.
2: And so Oh man, that's so good. One of the things about paragliding is that I think there's a lot of subtlety to it, kind of like surfing. Okay. It it's not as hard to get into though. Oh, so you yeah. can operate in the sport and gain knowledge mm-hmm. without having like a big breakthrough. You can do it gradually. But there is mm. so much to learn. Yeah. Right. And I have only begun to scratch the surface. I haven't done I haven't done big thermaling flights or big cross country flights. I'm hoping to go down to Mexico in January and spend some time flying down there with Andy. And that's where you're going to learn how to do cross country flying. Yeah, how do you thermal up to 14,000 feet? Oh my gosh. And then fly for four to six hours a day unpowered. Oh my gosh. It's really exciting. It's a
0: clear. Sorry, go ahead.
1: My aunt works on a golf course where they also do paragliding in California and they do it out over the ocean. So they jump off this huge cliff and then they just float out over the ocean and then somehow make it back up onto the cliff
2: and that's called soaring Mm -hmm. and so they're using that bluff coming off the ocean it takes that sea breeze and it pushes it up so there's a small amount of lift there and you can just as long as the wind is good you can soar back and forth Mm -hmm. and i've had those flights in bozeman and you feel like a bird (laughs) yeah you you literally feel like a bird If once you start flying you become hyper aware of the wind direction and the birds Because birds utilize it so often. Yeah. So you'll see a hawk thermaling and you're like, oh, there's a thermal. There it is. There There it is. Nice. You'll see them soaring. Yeah. And then the first time. It's almost like
0: you're just picking up tips just by being observant. Yes,
2: exactly. (laughs) That's so cool. I love,
1: I didn't realize that that's what that was, but I always know, like Stephen can attest to this, Mm -hmm. like I'm always watching for birds and I love it when you just see a bird just like floating And it's just like, you're doing your bird activities. <laughs> you're
2: doing it, man.
1: I love it so much. Yeah. It's amazing. It's very
2: and, powerful. And the idea that we can harness yeah. technology to allow a human like to have you that can experience. Mimic right. Man. So Girl, good. that's the craziest thing. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's ridiculous.
0: So,
2: <laughs> I can fly.
3: Gosh.
0: Are there any considerations you have to do, especially when you're getting into like thousands of feet? of elevation mm-hmm. are you like calling in your airspace to like the faa or something nope.
2: so it's uh classified as experimental aircraft so you don't need any sort of training Whoa. if you wanted you could just buy a paraglider let's and do it, start <laughs> running off of cliffs,
1: and that accepted. would be
2: sketchy as hell but Whoa. you could if you wanted to
1: Whoa. let's do it steven Wanna go to Bozeman and learn how to paraglide?
0: Uh, yeah, I'll pay for a lesson. <laughs> I'm
1: okay, just buy it. <laughs> let's go.
0: Oh gosh.
2: Okay. When you're doing big cross-country flights, though, mm-hmm. you aren't allowed to go above eighteen thousand feet, right? Because then you enter commercial airspace. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. An unfortunate record in paragliding is thirty-five thousand feet. A woman got pulled into a thunder cell. Holy crap! She passed out. She yeah. She was being pelted by golf ball-sized hail. And then oh. four hours later, she woke up at, I think at 14,000 feet, just her wing hadn't collapsed. And she was just sagged and, sagging down in her God. harness. She oh looked up gosh. her flight record and it, she had been pulled at 35,000 feet. Dang. I mean, that's insane. That is but crazy. that's an extraordinary circumstance. It yeah. rarely ever happens. Cloud bases in Montana is generally like 17,500 feet. Yeah. So even on a perfect day. You often can't get above You're that. You're not going to get crossing yeah. that. Good night. You That's... do use supplemental oxygen on those big cross country flights. I mean, I never have because I'm not that that, that cool yet. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely had it. Otherwise, she would have just been uh No gone. No, no way. she didn't. I don't think she did. No way. I don't know that for sure. Brain damage. But she at least. was pulled. She, she passed was, out. She was, there was pulled no way into she it. Yeah. yeah. On accident. Oh my gosh. That's scary. Yeah,
1: she would have just passed out from going that high like
0: i said that rarely happens yeah that's fair
2: (laughs) but don't let this deter you yeah (laughs) there's a lot of potential in park riding you can go really high Mm -hmm. and if you want a flight to be recorded in like record books you aren't allowed to go into commercial airspace okay and so they'll often fly to 17 and a half and then give themselves 500 feet of like buffer buffer yeah and then they'll fly out of the thermal and then go and find the next one okay
0: yeah man that's wild you are certainly a person who engages your body a lot, like around (laughs) all these sports. It's very admirable to watch. Um, you get good at all of these things. It's very cool to me at the same time though. You are a person that engages your mind. Unlike many people I know. So I want to have a conversation about you. (laughs) So I want to have a conversation about your growth into philosophy and spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we can trace it from the beginning Cause you, you and I grew up in the same church and you've always had a very theological mind as well from Mm -hmm. our youth group days. Yep. So how would you describe like your spirituality today compared to that of your childhoods and how has that evolution kind of tracked itself to get you to today?
2: Yeah. I grew up in a very religious household, religious in, in a good way. It was structured and -hmm. and my parents believed what they believed and they acted as though they believed what they believed. Mm -hmm. And that was the environment in which I grew up one to 18. I was extraordinarily motivated to pursue God and carried that into college. I was very involved with Chi Alpha. And I had this thoroughgoing deconstruction that started in college Mm -hmm. and My last two years of college were pretty rough. I lost a lot of the meaning-making systems that I had known. Mm. I couldn't believe in them. Or not couldn't. I didn't believe in them. Sure. Not genuinely anymore. Yeah. And it was very destabilizing. It was the first time in my life I'd ever felt that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it set me on quite the journey. I'm still on it. Yeah. (laughs) I imagine I will be on it for the rest of my life (laughs) at this point. Sure. (laughs) The world is just... So much more complicated than I could have ever expected. Right. So much more nuanced Mm -hmm. and confusing, Mm -hmm. like legitimately perplexing. Yeah. And since I've had the deconstruction, I've started to try to free my mind of preconceptions. Okay. Just so that I can really go to the mats for what I believe in. Mm. Even if it's not much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And I can rely on those few principles in my life and try to make the best of life while believing in those few things sure all the while adding all the while mm-hmm. like building back up and trying to find a way yeah. of life that is meaningful and right. beautiful and true yeah true yeah. above all else
0: yeah it's like carefully picking each lego brick before you add it to the yeah that's exactly the how stack. I
2: think about yeah. It. yeah making sure that i don't include any blocks down low that i'm gonna have to pull out later Right. Mm, because mm. I didn't like how my belief system was. I equate it to a ship without bulwarks. Okay. When you get one hole, the whole thing sinks. Mm-hmm. And so now I want to be very intentional with what I believe in mm-hmm. and know that I believe that. Yeah. Even if it's not much, because I don't want to go through that exasperating and depressing process. Of getting back down to it. Yeah. Before of, figuring of, of out the next. approaching nihilism again. Yeah. Yeah. Tearing everything down. I I feel like I walked to the edge of that pit and I looked down in it and was like, well, there's nothing for me there. (laughs) I don't think I'll continue. So I I metaphorically turned around and was like, okay, so what am I going to start doing in my life? Like, how am I going to start acting or or what am I going to seek that I can live on? Yeah.
0: Is there a train of thoughts that get you down to the brink of nihilism there like what kind of materials were you paying attention to reading listening Mm -hmm. to even writing like i've i've found a lot of self-education has come through my own journaling process right so like what what were you paying attention to and is there a string you can follow like the first thing that you deconstructed kind of dominoed all the way down
2: i had a philosophy of good and evil class that was transformative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it at the time, but it set the this process in motion. Mm. Still one of the favorite my most favorite classes. I thought it was intriguing and really challenging. My only beef with my entire college experience though is that those people are really good at deconstructing. Mm. It's They're true. really good at taking beliefs and highlighting the inconsistencies or the incongruities. Yeah. Right. And they are not good at giving you a system to replace it with. Yeah. Which I thought was such a jerk move. Yeah. You know? It's
1: like, let me tear this down and (laughs) then give you nothing. (laughs) Maybe
2: maybe he didn't realize how destabilizing it is. Yeah. Or maybe he thinks that you'll be better for it ultimately.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm. Or it gives you the opportunity to build it back up yourself.
2: Right. I would say that five years removed from that class, it's been a long process. Yeah. Yeah. So I would hope that they know what they're doing. Yeah. But yeah, it's I try not to, you know, think of myself as like the victim of other people's decisions. Yeah. It was my decision to be there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I I don't dwell on it. I would just say it's like the one of the few disservices that I felt like I received (laughs) in college. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But that said, I am doing my best to rebuild from the bottom. Yeah. That man just really well. He knew all the inconsistencies in pretty much every a belief system and he was able to highlight them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I asked, actually asked him at the end, I was like, so what do you believe? And really it came down to not much. Huh? He believes in enough to kind of operate, Mm. but I'm not sure if he had even done the work to rebuild his belief systems. Not his belief systems, his way of viewing the world.
0: Right. Yeah. Like he can point out all the inconsistencies in everyone else, but he's comfortable living enough with inconsistencies
2: in himself. An extraordinarily high level of unknowing. It, yeah.
0: It, it. He sounds like who uh, Camus had in mind when he wrote about the absurd man in The Myth of Sisyphus. Mm-hmm. I have not read that yet.
2: Okay. I need to. I think you should because this <laughs> is
0: very much what we're talking about. That
2: dude is like one of the... Uh, I've read The Stranger. Yeah. And that is one of the most nihilistic pieces of writing I have
0: ever... It absolutely is. Uh, there were, there were nuggets... Of the myth of Sisyphus that I got to underline and be like, wow, if any of this book is valuable, it's like these sentences or Mm -hmm. this paragraph. It's like, whoa, he's the last sentence. Yeah. You're able to condense something into a sentence like that. It's just like, oh, because like that's that's what all this great work should do is at least make you think, Mm -hmm. if not convince you that their whole thesis is correct. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. so started with a philosophy of good and evil deconstruction and a not necessarily a mentor like the opposite of a mentor he just wanted to tear it down with you (laughs) Mm yeah um
1: isn't this fun
0: (laughs) so beginning with (laughs) was it the actual concept of good and evil that kind of got you started on your on
2: your deconstruction path it was the fallibility of scripture Mm. okay yeah that's why i liken it to a ship without bulwarks yeah because when you punch one hole in the fal- in, in the idea of the infallibility of scripture it all just all the water starts coming in and it comes in <laughs> slow but it's eventually gonna sink the yep. ship
0: we were just talking about this at coffee it's like that feels more like a house of cards philosophy than yeah what some christians who hold to infallibility put on everyone else as like a house mm-hmm.
2: of cards that seems you know? so much
1: more exhausting my
2: so i don't i see why people mm-hmm. believe that mm-hmm. yeah and i don't judge them for it it's just not a position that i can defend sure yeah it's not ground that i can occupy anymore
0: yeah Yeah. wow so i imagine with that being the first thing that's like the first hole kicked into the bulwark i imagine a lot of things go pretty quickly after that
2: Mm -hmm. i started realizing that a lot of the connection that i felt with god could just as easily be a mind trick. It could be me working myself into a frenzy or an emotional state of, of ecstasy. Cause man, there were some experiences that were enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truly.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, not like a sensual sense in like a profoundly meaningful and attached sense. Right. There are, there
0: are very specific memories in my mind of like worship nights we would have at youth group or like big prayer events where I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Like we had a, We had a moment there in the mountains, man, (laughs) right? Right? Yes. So, yeah.
2: And I still have those moments. And I am thankful to something because I can't help but not Mm -hmm. be thankful. Mm -hmm. I just can't attribute it to what I used to. Sure. Not yet. Yeah. I don't know where that's going to lead. Once I realized that, I started realizing that God seems suspiciously silent. Mm. And Mm. if this is a conversation with God, if my prayers are a conversation... He is the worst conversationalist that I've ever <laughs> right. attempted to have a conversation with.
0: Yeah. It right. doesn't feel like a lot of give and take.
2: Right. Kind of. And yeah. in, the, in the midst of my increasing, ang- not anxiety, but uh, confusion, mm-hmm. his silence, its silence became deafening mm-hmm. and I begin to look for other ways that I could do my part mm-hmm. in really seeking what is true. Right. Mm-hmm. I decided that man... As a rational animal. <laughs> I'm not sure he's much of an animal, but he's <laughs> well, rational at times for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Indeed. That's a gift mm-hmm. that sets us apart from most other beings. Yeah. yeah, And so that's, I decided that's my central tool for trying to find God. If he comes, oh. if it comes busting through the door
1: mm-hmm.
2: and makes itself undeniably clear, I am nothing but accepting at that point. Yeah. And I, and I want to keep humble and true. Mm-hmm. To this uh, effort. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm just going to read like hell. Yeah. I'm just going to read everything. I'm going to try to confront reality as it is right. as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And that's what I can do on my end. And it took a lot of that waiting and that anxiousness and just exasperation mm. and it put it on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, now I can act. I'm going to do something because I can't not do something. Right. And that's where I've been at. And that's why I've kind of fell down the rabbit hole of different belief systems and different ways of making meaning or finding meaning. Yeah. And then just trying to be brutally honest with myself and others. I see the way that if you don't confront incongruities at the beginning, Mm -hmm. how they become central to who you are, and then they become painful and they become very destabilizing when you have to confront them later. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to always listen to that still small voice that's in my head saying, do you really believe this? Right. If someone were to ask you, could you go to the mats for this belief? Do you have the information that it takes to stand in front of other people, even if they disagree with you Mm -hmm. and and make your claim and defend your position? Right. And so that's kind of the standard that I've been operating on. Yeah. So working on this congruency, I mean, you said your
0: favorite superpower would be essentially that being able to translate the deepest things that are true of you in your mind Mm -hmm. and translate them into action and translate them into the life you imagine for yourself, Mm -hmm. but then don't necessarily have the control to do so. So getting us out of the Valley, then very, very close to nihilism. And now we're turning
2: around (laughs) and moving the other way. I Um, literally, I, I real quick, I just decided that there's nothing there. Because a truly nihilistic person is literally going to off themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the world is full. It's, of the, it's
0: the only thing that makes sense at that point. Totally.
2: Like, yeah. The truest logical conclusion. I think people often say that they're nihilistic, but I think they're actually just cynical. Mm, it's yes. easy to be cynical. Yeah. And it's yes, it like it's getting easier. This is what <laughs> myth of <Yes>. Sisyphus is. <laughs> he makes this argument
0: like you have two options if you're going to live like me end it yourself or just did he commit suicide, camu Um, that's oh, a great question. I actually, I don't. I, I haven't.
1: I think he did.
0: It's embarrassing, but that I'm not I don't positive. Know. But I that's don't essentially understand. his thesis in *Myth of Sisyphus*. He kind of yeah. goes through three acts mm-hmm. in the book, and the first one is basically like either end it yourself, or
2: just kind of live absurdly, like I do. And see, I don't even think he's. I think that he's being disingenuous. Yeah, mm-hmm. because a true nihilist. Looks at the irredeemability of pain, Mm -hmm. the imminent suffering, death, yeah, equality, inequality that is seems endemic to reality. Yeah, they look at all those things, and they say, "There is no way that my experience on Earth can be pleasurable enough to offset that." Yeah, the miracle in life is not that we feel pain. The miracle is that we don't feel pain sometimes. I think, because wow, I don't. It just seems like death suffering, tragedy, chaos are so prevalent. Mm -hmm. And we live in a place that's very, very sheltered from that. But I think that once you start looking at history, you realize, whoa, like we are living in the exception. This is an exceptional time Mm -hmm. and and a very privileged time to be alive. But that's not the human norm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, yeah, I I don't think you can, I don't think you can confront the irredeemability of your pain and think it totally gratuitous and then Mm -hmm. not hurt yourself right
0: so essentially yeah no one is a nihilist for that long
2: i don't think so Is really what we're saying i think you've i think you've manufactured some meaning making matrix
0: okay mm-hmm. that allows
2: you to operate in the world yeah
1: yeah definitely
0: so turning yourself around deciding it sounds like you essentially decided that you didn't want to be a nihilist
2: <laughs> right it was just something i decided right yeah my sister once told and me the beauty
0: of it is you can
2: You can. Yeah. Yeah. It only doesn't feel disingenuous because I know that I'm not willing to accept the alternative. Mm. Oh, my sister once told me that Caleb, at some point you're going to have to just pick a belief system and go with it. And I thought that was so my idealistic young self just rebelled at that idea. Yeah. Mm. Completely and utterly. I have noticed, though, that in one sense, in one sense, she was correct. I did. I chose to turn my back on where I was headed. And I decided that life has meaning and I'm gonna find it. Like, yeah. that was it. Yeah. And I just had to decide that. So, I don't know. Maybe she was right. And my young girl <laughs> idealistic self was just being a. There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, turning around from the cliff's edge there, metaphorically, and putting together something you've already mentioned a couple of times, like, I'm working on putting together something that I think is a valuable way to live. Even if that's not very many things. Yeah. What are those few things that are on the bottom layer of the Lego wall right now?
2: One of the stopgaps that has been very helpful in operating in the world without knowing much, mm-hmm. without having a metaphysic, has been Ayn Rand and her theory of objectivism. Okay. It was really freeing to adopt an ideology that was not policing that didn't expect much of other people other than that they would leave you alone. It didn't require judgment of other people. It just required that you were competent and you were putting in the effort yourself. Yeah. It very much says, I don't need your help. I don't Mm -hmm. want your help, but I do need you to get out of my way. (laughs) If that makes sense. So it was so easy to operate that way because I didn't need to control other people all of a sudden. There's no theocratic tendencies left over after this deconstruction. Wow. And so now I just get to operate. I think there's something honest in the realization that the world is often made up of competition. Mm. You can call it evolution. You can call it objectivism. You can call it capitalism. Mm -hmm. But it is endemic to reality, as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. You know, that is widely contested. But there's something freeing in not trying to control other people, not trying to figure out what they need to believe, just being like, okay, here's a way that I can operate. And so that's why Alice Shrugged kind of changed my life mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, well, I can go into business. Maybe <laughs> self-serving isn't necessarily immoral as long as I'm not offending or imposing my will on other people. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: very much a metaphysic of libertarianism. Mm-hmm.
2: Very much, yeah. And and
0: what, you can divorce libertarianism as well from even being political or conservatism yes what we're saying is libertarianism is a metaphysic that you get to claim free will and you get to claim free conscious choice over the direction you head right exactly Mm -hmm. um responsibility self-interest like you're you're taking these things on not as again self-interest doesn't have to be selfishness Mm -hmm. right
2: that's the idea yeah yeah okay this is good. Continue then. <laughs> That's been a stopgap and it's been very very helpful. Right. Because otherwise when you don't have a m- metaphysic or meaning making matrix, you it's hard to make decisions. Right. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be successful or motivated in life. Mm-hmm. I'm very thankful that I found it. I'm realizing that it is not a thorough explanation of the world and it doesn't encompass the nuance and The beauty and the evil, everything in between that we see. Mm -hmm. So I've come to a point where philosophically, I think you come to what I call the necessity of transcendence.
0: (laughs) That's why I brought this. He's getting into the notebook.
2: We got it. (laughs) A
0: man that carries a notebook is a man I respect a lot.
2: (laughs) So this is something that I formulated the other day that is a concise way of putting what I consider the necessity of transcendence. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, transcendence is at least the force that one makes living preferable to non existence, two validates man's agency, three validates the sufficiency of rationality, four makes one action morally preferable to another. I don't think that in a completely materialistic universe, those things are self evident. Mm. Mm. And that's why I say you have the necessity of transcendence. And it's super hard for us, myself included, having grown up in Christianity, to divorce. God as a person, as a, as a, he, Mm -hmm. as a body or God head sort of figure yeah, Yeah. to something more nebulous, right? Because I'm not sure what that transcendence looks like, Mm -hmm. right? I'm at the point where I need to figure that out. But I do see that out of all my studying, I do see the need for that transcendence. Right. And that's where I'm at at this point. There needs to be something more. Right. Mm -hmm. And that thing may communicate with us. It may be in everything. It may be an it, it may be a she, maybe a he. I don't know, but I see the necessity for it if I'm not going to walk back into some sort of like nihilism. Right. Yeah. I think that people who aren't willing to accept that little aren't being genuine. Right. For example, the, the first one it's at least the force that validates man's agency. Mm. It's very hard to make the claim that humans are agents humans are sovereign humans have the have free will Mm -hmm. without some extra material animating force and you need to believe that because there's no other way of living in the world (laughs) you cannot believe free choice from what sincerely (laughs) yeah that that you are just a product of a set of initial conditions yeah you know that were predetermined at the beginning of the universe yeah that's not how you live and if you do believe that that's it, it may be true, though, mm-hmm. but that's not how you live. Yeah. It's not congruent with your experience. Mm. It's not axiomatic, I, would, I wouldn't say. So anyway, stuff like that. That's why I think there's a need for transcendence at this point. Mm. That's the end of my assuredness. Right. That's where it kind of ends. And I'm still obviously trying to figure out where to go from here. I had a really interesting conversation with a bioethics professor the other day, and he said that he agrees that we can come to a knowledge of the need for transcendence via philosophy. But he was claiming that you don't come to a knowledge of God. Philosophy doesn't tell you which human system most thoroughly encompasses that transcendent reality. Mm-hmm. The proof is in experience. Right. And so at this point, I'm wondering mm. if if maybe less reading and more living is how I'm going to come. Right to that conclusion, that I is don't so know. Good. I don't know, but that's one of my suspicions. I love as of recently.
1: I love seeing where different people are in their deconstruction, like learning what your like foundation block for deconstruction is, you know, and like where you're starting from. It like just fuels my own deconstruction so much more. Like the foundation of my my deconstruction is growing up in, in an abusive home and. Like emotionally and physically and sexually from a very, very, very young age, I can remember laying in bed and literally just starting a prayer and just being like, just some something be here with me, something be here with me. And I made the point to not say amen because I thought that's what sent whatever was with me away. Oh, and so like I would I would fall asleep just almost like a mantra. Like I would fall Mm -hmm. asleep just saying this mantra and I'd be like, I'm not saying amen because if I say amen, then the thing that's protecting me is going to go away. And looking back at that now, I'm 28 years old and looking back at six-year-old Dixie, having that experience, I, in my deconstruction, I am comfortable placing God in that place of the thing that was protecting me. Mm. But looking through it like... It didn't have to be God like it didn't it didn't have to be what people call Yahweh or, you know, any of that, like it never had to be that. Just the the utterance of please be with me, please be with me was foundation enough for where I am in my deconstruction to place a being or the existence of some power over us. In that place to hold that foundation for the rest of my beliefs. Mm. So I just think it's so cool to see like the transcendence thing. Like that's such a cool way of looking at it. And I've never heard heard that before. I
2: think I think there's something more genuine and more powerful in people who have developed their metaphysic through experience. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes I feel as though I've lived such a beautiful Mm -hmm. archetypally American life. Yeah. (laughs) That I've seen so little tragedy in my life.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I have the privileged position of approaching all these things theoretically. Right. And I think there's something fundamentally shallow about that. Mm. And, you know, I would say that this is one reason why I want to go into the mountains and I want to test myself. I think there's something born of experience yep. that you, will n- you just will never get to sitting around talking theory. Yep. Mm. And it's not to say that it's for sure. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people do a lot of crazy yeah. <laughs> because of what they've experienced. Mm-hmm. But I just think that there, there's a dance there. Yeah. And there's an interweaving of, of experience and knowledge yep. mm. that I sometimes feel as though I miss. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that I read so heavily on like Soviet Russia, mm-hmm. World War II, I think, or the 20th century was just, it was the height of human suffering, mm-hmm. human progress. Right. It was the height of humans experiencing human things. Right. And hmm. so I try to sometimes backfill my mm-hmm. lack of uh, <laughs> my lack of like true experience and I try to do that vicariously, but I'm just not sure that it right. has the same depth as like someone like you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I I can speak honestly from a person who is I mean, I I wouldn't say that I've been through a whole lot of horrible things. I've definitely been through a lot of hard things, but as a person that has been through some hard things, uh, like Stephen same thing, like super easy childhood, classic American male, white.
0: Every box every, every unprivileged, <laughs> check. <laughs> he is privileged. You know? <laughs> like,
1: it's just the same thing. Like, privileged, has a great family. His parents are still together, has, you know, loving siblings and all this stuff. Like, I look at that in envy. Like, I don't have an understanding of that faith that comes with privilege. Like, I don't really have an understanding of just being secure. And having faith in that like so I envy like you guys for that and mm-hmm. I can see the other side of that being like I've not experienced these hard things. So I don't have the wisdom that it comes with mm-hmm. exactly working through the hard things like it's a Two-way street like I <laughs> like there's some things that Stephen is just so good at so good at navigating and understanding and because of Trauma and you know like poverty and all of this stuff like I just don't understand it <laughs> like everyone's life isn't hard <laughs> like yeah, I don't understand Right. <laughs> so yeah but thank you for saying that
0: mm-hmm. and this is the beauty in conversations like this in a relationship like this where we can each bring what we have to the table and say like I have no idea what your experience is like mm-hmm. I don't know what it is like to be Caleb yeah. like the Calebness of the world is never going to be part <laughs> of my experience <laughs> I'm never going to experience but this. <laughs> we can at least <laughs> offer up what we would and say like this has been mine yeah how does yours map or how does yours differ how where like where can we see the Venn diagram overlapping Mm -hmm. and like we can we learn from each other and we educate each other literally in moments like this yeah right Mm -hmm. yeah it's good (sighs) good gravy man (laughs) so good I (laughs) think like
2: this is like a Monday morning breakfast right (laughs) oh
0: yeah this is our (laughs) our. I just blacked out I'm so hot I don't even know what I (laughs) guys' breakfast (laughs) At that Pelican <laughs> Diner, drinking the worst coffee on oh, earth. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So bad. It's this so is what good it's like. At the same time. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciate the realization that experience might deserve to be the tip of the spear whenever we put ourselves out into the world in a philosophical or theological or call it a spiritual way. Mm-hmm. I've really been kind of opening myself up to that possibility over the last couple of years as well. in my own deconstruction journey i think the way we grew up it was really easy to be the sola scriptura kind of guys (laughs) you know (laughs) and what i've appreciated of looking into other methods of christianity and even into the mystical sides of other traditions Mm -hmm. what i love is the more mystical a religious tradition gets whether it be islam christianity buddhism hinduism we all kind of start sounding the same way and mm-hmm. it's it's getting after this transcendence that you've been talking about mm-hmm. as a baseline yeah right? as a baseline right but i i think experience deserves to be the tip of the spear whenever you like push into that kind of territory i, I think you're
2: right mm-hmm. i have a suspicion that you're right
1: <laughs> we were talking about it earlier and talking about how different Each tradition is but Stephen said like the closer you get to the mysticism of each of those traditions they kind of all start sounding the same Mm. and the idea that like you might not agree with everything that this tradition says but Mm. they're doing something right like there's one thing in there that they're doing right Mm
3: -hmm. and that
1: you can agree with like I made the example of Mormonism like they are some of the most generous and like family focused traditions in the world like it's incredible how generous and family focused they are and like that is something that they are obviously doing right and there's just little things in a bunch of different traditions that just kind of culminate into like this is what it was supposed to be
2: (laughs) (laughs) and it is so hard to compel humans Mm -hmm. especially in america right because we're comfortable yeah Mm -hmm. we've achieved a level of affluence that is just mind-boggling yes (laughs) and so to get people in general to provoke people to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. to give away their money, to limit their themselves and their pleasures, to go to mass or recite mantras, to do pilgrimages or to walk around the burial site of the Buddha, which mm-hmm. I can't remember what it is right now. That takes something that's very compelling to those people right. to do that. And I think it would be narcissistic or egoistic to not give that any chance at credibility or to not investigate it and see what those people are finding so fulfilling in that. Hmm. Yeah, for real. One thing I do want to say is that I don't want to do to other people against their will what that philosophy teacher did to me, Mm -hmm. which is kind of without permission.
1: Break it down.
2: Without. Yeah. Yeah. Just throw a wrench in it. Yeah. I just have no desire to do that to people because A lot of people live very, very beautiful, yeah. good, honest lives. Mm-hmm. And unless they are compelled by some force outside of myself, yep. I don't have a desire to rock that boat. And so my one caveat to this entire <laughs> conversation would be if you are content where you are, mm-hmm. I wouldn't lay it to the side so easily. Yeah and i would be prepared for what you're stepping into. Yeah. And i would say that there's something honest about confronting those mm-hmm. realities and at the same time it's almost okay if you don't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As long as, yeah. as
2: long as you aren't hurting other people.
1: Yeah, definitely. And not in an offensive way, but ignorance is bliss. <laughs>
2: at the end of the day, i think that when you die, yeah. I don't think that there's this isn't political. <laughs> I don't think there's such thing as collective guilt. And so i think that if there is a judge, there is a deity form of transcendence that you talk to Mm -hmm. when you're done Mm -hmm. i think you're going to stand before that thing alone i think you're going to be responsible alone and so you just need to make sure that okay like i'm living a life that i feel as though i can honestly defend yeah (laughs) Hmm. which is really interesting there's actually a Hmm. you know in an you know until we have faces where the girl puts together that beautiful like almost indictment of the god figure Mm -hmm. and it's immaculate and she gets before god which is not a god until we have faces and she realizes that she's holding just this ragged papyrus and (laughs) rough hewn nasty looking journal thing yeah and she's like what happened to like my great indictment of god Mm -hmm. the idea being that we have these ideas that are just profound and they're complex and they're Mm -hmm. awesome but maybe god is just so much bigger than that
1: yeah you made him smaller
2: Ooh. yeah maybe once you get before him him, you won't be able to defend anything yeah no (laughs) but at the end of the day you have to operate in the world with what you have and what you have is your rationality what you have is your experience Mm -hmm. and so you need to know that like i am going to the grave doing as much as i could have done is all i'm saying yep but until then it's just not kind to put people into a tailspin Right. Yeah, for real. Just to see, you know, it's like iconoclasm. Yeah. Just to yes. see the world burn. <laughs> right. It's I mean. mean, I I
1: live for that. Like I would know that, mean. but I won't. No. I won't do that. <laughs>
3: so
0: that. That was long-winded, but wow. I feel that's like that's very important. Good. That is, very yeah. Good. I appreciate that very much, and I'm so glad we got into it. Like you and I get breakfast occasionally and it's so fun sitting around the table with all our different points of view and experiences and they are diverse (laughs) and i always notice that you are far more quiet than the rest of us i would say you're you're quiet in a way where you're willing you you can throw a question in there that gets the rest of us talking a lot but we're all a lot of us are talking from a very christian lens yeah from the beginning of the conversation Mm -hmm. so when you when you inject When you inject, it's like, oh, you just changed the whole flavor of the morning.
1: (laughs) Caleb's here. (laughs) I appreciate that a
0: lot. But I love having this conversation directly with you because like really getting to the bottom of where this has come from for you. Mm -hmm. Like I admire your journey a lot and I admire how thoroughly you're willing to take it, like strip it down to nothing and then find what what you can construct into something beautiful following. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I admire that a lot.
2: Thanks. I, uh, I say that I'm becoming religious and not spiritual. Nice. <laughs> Good turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah, just to be uh, cle- uh, just to be ironic. yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got you. Another stopgap that I've found is being around people who do no meaning in the world, hmm. even if you disagree with it. Hmm. I love being around Christian people. I love being around spiritual people. Mhm.
0: Is it almost like there's an optimism that feeds you
2: just by osmosis? It's so nice being around people who don't question everything. It's yeah. beautiful. It inspires you to keep going because you're like, okay. It almost you know, gives
1: you a rest. It's
0: a like,
2: rest. I can just calm yeah. down. Like, like these people are. can just exist. They're stable.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, and it also gives you permission to not be afraid for everyone else. Yeah. Right? Like you can. It's you can, not tumultuous. It's you can sit at a breakfast tumultuous. with us yeah. while we dissect a theology of hell. Mm-hmm. and you can just be like what's it like to get into these kind of details
2: but know you have like a bedrock behind you <laughs> right right i love being with you i freaking love being with you guys <laughs> i love being with people who are firm believers yeah i think that when you are deconstructing you can get into a well a constructive cycle as you know where mm-hmm. the, the two waves are yeah. getting bigger and bigger yeah yeah you can do that with another person who's deconstructing yeah. or questioning, yeah. and then you just become cynical. Yeah. Right, together. And, <laughs> and it's not good. don't just, do that. Don't do yeah. that. So it's really good to be around people who see meaning in the world. Yeah. yeah. One way that I've practically that I've started doing that that I find very refreshing is uh, hanging out with some Orthodox Christians. Mm-hmm. They have a 2,000-year-old tradition.
0: Thank you for this. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah <laughs> keep going. I'm so <laughs> excited about this.
2: They have a 2,000-year-old tradition. They know it. It's really not changed in 2000 years. Nope. Mm -hmm. It's deeply meaningful to them. Yep. It requires very little mentation or like Western style thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love being involved in it. I'm not involved because I can't be. They have, you know, the limitations, but I can go to their services and I can go to the Vespers, uh, which is the Vespers is what I've been going to. They're either late at night or early in the morning. Mm -hmm. And they are the most, it's probably the most cathartic place outside of the wilderness that I've ever been. Mm. Mm. It smells of incense. It's dark. The singing is gorgeous. There's no there's no instruments. And they're performing rituals, deeply meaningful rituals. And you can observe and kind of just be a part of those rituals. But unlike evangelical Christianity, they're not asking you to believe something. Mm. They're saying... We invite you because this is we think this is awesome. Yeah. Wow. At the same time, like there's room here for people who don't believe. Mm-hmm. They call them catechumen. <laughs> <laughs> there's a word for you. Oh, there's a word, <laughs> dude. It is so funny. They have a word for everything. Every <laughs> two this thousand is so years. Good. Two thousand years you, to like put know. this together. This is so good. Yeah. And I have found that it is just so refreshing to be around mm.
0: them. It's interesting to me that you find that sort of connection with like a group of people when you attend a moment like that or in the wilderness when you're almost completely alone. Mm. Like it's interesting that there's that like diametric.
2: Mm-hmm. That is really interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. So my encouragement to people who like don't know yet what they believe yeah, is get around people in a tradition that you find healthy mm-hmm. and welcoming. Right. And just be there and just know that there exists more than being a cynic. There exists more than being a nihilist. And even if you don't believe it yet, or if, even if you never believe it, it's good and healthy that you would be around those people. Yeah, because you don't want to become a monster. Yeah, <laughs> you don't right. want to. Yes. You don't want to become the person who watches the world burn and yeah. burn and love it, loves it. Yeah. And I think that being a part of those traditions can curb that tendency. Right.
0: Very good, man. I love it <laughs> so much to kind of pull us out of the spiritual realm a little bit, or the mm-hmm. philo- philosophical realm Religious at least, realm. using it as a springboard. I love the fact that you like you have a notebook where you have three simple sentences to describe what transcendence is. At least mm-hmm. it speaks to like a very core value I, I've always seen in you of kind of a, a minimalism type of a life, whether it be in your patterns of thought or patterns of action and just lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it like living in a tiny house <laughs> and what is it like? Cause you and I talked, you, you gave me a book a while ago and it was like, it what was, was, it, on? it was uh, GK Chesterton's oh, orthodoxy. Man. I love that book. You had handed me that it has, book.
2: it has nothing to do with Orthodox Christianity, by the way. No. And that's, it's so <laughs> it's subversive misleading. that way. Like I
0: popped it open. And I was like, oh this is what we're talking about it's very good but you gave it to me and it was all it was had been sprayed by like sea foam when you guys were first getting into sailing yep it's one of those things like caleb gave me this every time i pick it up i'm like
2: yeah man yeah (laughs) this book is been places one of the one of the hatches to the uh galley or the salon area was open yeah man it just we had a rough day on the on the sea and spray just drenched it and so now it's twice as thick right <laughs> and it will and the, never be the, the same but
0: <laughs> and the cover is very crinkly uh-huh. it has a lot of habits to it now you can't really bend it and just hold it just kind of like flopped back to where it was <laughs> it's very good
2: um, i'm glad you i'm glad you like that i, I love very that much enjoyed
0: it but my favorite part was what we were we were at one of these breakfasts and we had talked about this book and you were like oh yeah i have it in the car let me go get it and you pull out a tote And you pop it open, you hand me the book and you're like, you can just keep that. I don't plan on revisiting that book anytime (laughs) soon. And if I do, I'll, I'll read it again or get it again. And, uh, I, I had asked you about the tote and you're like, yeah, that's basically all I have. Like, basically I have like two totes back at the house, but otherwise I just kind of carry this one in the car with me. (laughs) Where did that come from? Where did this like
2: minimalist way of living start for you? It started in college, uh, when I could. Manipulate and kind of curate my own surroundings mm-hmm. and found that managing material is <laughs> exasperating. Yes. It is legitimately exasperating to me. And so th- as much as I can streamline that process, it al- frees me up to do the things that I truly find valuable. Yeah. And so that's, it's, it's mostly pragmatic. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, it's not, uh, yeah, sorry. I don't have some beautiful explanation for why minimalism is this- it's just i move a lot and then i want to get you know i don't want to deal with all that stuff yeah Yeah. i want everything to have its place so that i know what i have and i know where it's at Mm -hmm. so that if i need it i can get it and then otherwise like if i'm not using it i probably don't need it yeah yeah and uh
0: (laughs) and if i'm not using it i definitely don't want to be on the hook for cleaning it every week just certainly collecting dust hauling
2: around finding a place in the garage for it yeah yeah I also think this is fair. There is a sort of modern day asceticism to it. Yeah. Yep. It makes you think about everything that you have Mm -hmm. and makes you be certain that it has its place. And if it doesn't, you need to be disciplined enough to get rid of it Mm -hmm. because we form material attachments that are pretty irrational, irrational. (laughs) Yes. And I think it's best to be more critical than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Even including your stuff.
0: I would say especially including your stuff. <laughs> yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> Definitely.
2: Do you, have you found that it's kind of become
0: your design style? You mentioned you wanted a small home with a family so that your yeah. kids are living in the same room. Like, is, is the kind of minimalist interior design style even something that's been appealing to you lately? Certainly. Yeah.
2: Certainly. And I got to, now that I'm out of the tiny house, I was living in a loft that was, um, it was probably six by five. Okay. So everything that I owned needed to be there, yeah, including my bed. Wow. So my bed took up. I was living on what's called a narrow twin. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It was just a footprint. It was half of a, pretty much half of a twin. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so, I used that, and then I had totes kind of up on this step above me. Mm-hmm. That certainly limited my design
0: yeah. preferences.
2: Yep. Since moving into this new house, I've gotten to envision the spaces I want it. Yeah. Sweet. And put things in there that I value. So, for instance, I still sleep on a narrow twin. I bought like a a steel minimalist frame for it. Okay. I like that because I don't want the focus of my room to be rest. And Mm. I know for some people that would be like, oh, that's kind of absurd. Yeah. It's a bedroom.
3: Yeah. It's it's It's, a sleep room. It's named after the
2: object (laughs) that it's supposed to feature. (laughs) But I, I like the idea that the productive spaces of my room are actually actually outsize the inert or you know necessary mm-hmm. but very still necessary. you're ne- you're 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 stagnant when you're laying in your bed yeah right. and i just like the idea your shelter within that your that shelter is, yeah <laughs> that is a minority of the space yeah yeah and your space is actually focused on well i have a reading chair in there or i have a bookshelf mm. a desk and if you're going to put all those things in room you need to be very intentional as to where they go mm-hmm. you need to be willing to spend some money on the configuration, yep. so that. It doesn't just become a CF.
3: Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. And then other than that, like keep it pretty, pretty simple. Sweet. Those are really the only uh, design elements. I I have a little personal motto that's memento deo, memento forma, memento mori, which is remember God, remember beauty, remember death. Mm. So then I have three pieces of art. That's only two right now. (laughs) Okay. One is... A death as a memento mori, a reminder of death, which yeah. is the memento mori. Yeah. One is a reminder of beauty. And then I haven't been inspired yet as to what is my reminder of God. What that? Mm-hmm. But that will be the that. third piece of art in there. Wow. Nice. It's cool. Like you get to create your own space.
0: I like that so much. You're so incredibly intentional about what you do when it comes to minimalism. And I mean, like this is just how you've kind of lived your life.
2: Yeah. It feels pretty organic Yeah. Mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. To answer your question about what it's like living in a tiny house. Yeah. Unexceptional. <laughs> not good. Not bad. After. It just is. After the first few months, it loses all novelty. And you just realize oh. that, wow, I can do without so much.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I
2: see
0: the, the. The like romantic novelty just kind of dies. And you're yeah. like. Okay. And then I'm, it becomes
2: the place where you live. Now I have a two burner stove that I cook on instead of a yeah. four. <laughs> yeah. It's not cumbersome. It's not. Exasperating. It's not romantic. It just becomes new normal. It's your home. That's yeah. it. Ugh.
1: It's the place where it's you awesome. sleep Ugh. sometimes.
2: I would highly recommend it to anybody. I yeah. think that it has opened my mind to the potential of what we can do without. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I'm not one to, you know, I'm not one to shit on everybody's other preferences. I don't ultimately care, but I would encourage people to maybe give it a shot.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Consider it. We. As Americans, the norm is becoming very materialistic. Yeah,
1: our things
2: um, and houses are becoming bigger. Mm-hmm. Things are becoming more elaborate, and yeah, I just—it's not necessary. Yeah. And so, if you feel like you want to start testing what the limits of that are, right? Yeah, it's—it's it's pretty nice. It's a nice process, right. and you'll be surprised at how much you can do without. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yes. You don't need all of that stuff. I promise. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: Beyond the way you curate your physical space and the way you've kind of engineered your life to be very thrown in so go do the next thing. Are there other routines you follow on a daily basis that keep you inspired or keep you healthy, um, keep you energized?
2: Every day I need to do something that expels energy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know if this is a 20-year-old male thing, 20-year-old thing. <laughs> my thing but i become irritable and absolutely insufferable if i don't do something physical every day yeah huh. and so every day <laughs> whether it's work or whether it's going to the gym or it's going on a hike it doesn't matter that always happens when i wake up in the morning i try to wake up between six and seven this is one of those things like it's not as impressive as it sounds because i'm not as, a, as disciplined as i'd like to be sure mm-hmm. i wake up between six and seven i'd like to be waking up at five So it's not exceptional that I'm waking up at six and seven. Yeah. Okay.
1: Gotcha. Yeah.
2: I go and make a cup of yerba mate. I sit down, I do a little bit of reading, and then I've started journaling, which is really awesome. I would highly recommend it. Mm. And well, you do, don't you? I do. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Are there any particular templates
2: or prompts that you visit every morning? No. So I've tried to, I think Jordan Peterson calls it moderated exposure, where you you expose yourself to something just enough to like make it sustainable. Oh, okay. So I try not to be dogmatic about it. If yeah. I miss a day, that's fine. Yeah. And then I never go really over like three lines. Okay. It's a very, very succinct. Very like bullet journal. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm, I'm trying to get into this habit. Sure. Right. And so I don't want to make it the barrier to entry too strong. Right. Yeah. And uh, so that's something I've been doing. Just a very succinct okay. summary of the previous day. Oh, and then uh, okay. try to read every morning. Okay. there so anything else you want to highlight? Uh, that's mostly it actually. Okay. So I've noticed that because I don't have a nine to five schedules outside of that have been hard to come by. Oh, okay. One thing I have noticed is that successful entrepreneurs, they'll often do like block scheduling. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have know about this. Yeah. And that is something that I have not been disciplined enough to do. Right. Okay. And uh, I should be because it would Makes- increase my productivity by like. Threefold, probably.
0: It makes your Google Calendar look very intimidating for the first (laughs) few weeks of practicing it. But
2: once you get into it, it's freeing in a way. I can see how that would be the case because oftentimes, even though I'm not busy and I'm not doing something at the moment, there's often an anxiety that's just kind of running in the background. Mm. That's like, I am on call. People are doing work that I need to be worried about right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Instead of setting aside a block of time where these are the four hours that I'm checking in, I'm either driving to job sites. Or they know they can reach me. Mm. And then outside of that, all problems that everybody has, you know, (laughs) are going to wait till the next day or the next block. Yeah. And then that would just allow me to kind of not be humming Mm -hmm. upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Incessantly.
0: Yeah. It's because like you've externalized your memory in a way like putting it in the in the right spot Mm -hmm. so that, you know, you can just visit that instead of making sure it's always at the top of mind. Like, what's next? what do I do after that? What needs to be done that wasn't done yesterday that was supposed to? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Your yeah. iPhone wants to think for you. Like, you should let it. Yeah. But I, I I'm mean... just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh.
2: Oh, man. This is very good.
0: Caleb, thank you so much for coming and speaking with us in our in sauna, sauna here. Yeah. Dude. So nice. My skin is going to be so healthy. I, after yeah. This. Right? Just shining. Sweat it out. <laughs> <laughs> I... I appreciate this conversation so much. Like I've learned so much from you tonight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to be walking out of this room with like new things to chew on, new things to work on.
2: Good. Ditto. And this is something you always (laughs) do to me
0: whenever we get breakfast, whenever we bump into each other at Bozeman in Bozeman, it's like, Oh my goodness. Like there's a, there's another way of seeing the world and I love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like, that's, I mean, that's what this podcast is, too. Everyone Mm -hmm. has something like this to teach Dixie and I just by having a conversation with us. Yeah. Like, we've learned so much. Right.
2: (laughs) Just doing this project. Jordan Mm -hmm. Peterson says that. He says, approach every conversation as if someone has something to teach you. Yes. Yes. Everyone is your teacher. Everyone is your teacher.
0: Even if that person is going to teach you that they're a bad teacher.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which a lot of people. That's my
0: favorite caveat.
1: Kind of. Kind of do sometimes. (laughs)
0: It's true. It's true. That's okay. This has been a fantastic conversation. To wind down, we're curious to check in on where you currently are with a few things. First, what are you currently
2: reading? I am reading a book by E.F. Schumacher, which is called A Guide for the Perplexed, (laughs) which is interesting given the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's been pretty nice and pretty helpful. It it, uh, has some principles, ways of thinking that just help you operate in the world Mm -hmm. and give you license to think spiritually right in a world that values very much scientific thinking right because mm. he's a scientist and <laughs> he's smart and... <laughs> would i recommend it i'm not totally sure but i found it pretty helpful i found some good nuggets in there okay um another one is by the same author, author schumacher and it's called small is beautiful mm-hmm. and a friend recommended it to me and he said that it will help, quote, curb my market extremism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, it's it's pretty funny. I think the subtitles to the book is "Economics as if People Mattered." Oh, um, okay. And it's an old it's an old book. Sure. So curb your market. You're getting too again, randian, on us, <laughs> Caleb. Jeez. No, yeah, no um, recommendations necessarily, but those are the ones that I'm currently reading. Okay. Cool. I just finished *Lonesome Dove*. Yeah. Which was amazing. I would highly recommend it. One of the best books that I read in the near past is Shane. It looks like a kid's book. It's about seventy pages long, and it's an old western. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most simple and profound books. I mean, it made my top ten book list. Yeah. Whoa. It was astounding. Whoa. I thought the 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 character study of the protagonist is fascinating. Mm. Okay. And so, if anybody wants a good little western to read. I would highly recommend that Mm -hmm. one.
0: Excellent. What are you currently listening to right now? And this is both what comes up when you open up something like Spotify for music Mm -hmm. and what podcasts are you currently into?
2: And Audible books. Yeah. Fair play. Absolutely. I'm listening to The Power Broker. Okay. Because I have a tendency to to be kind of uselessly idealistic. Mm Sure. And you want to operate in the world. So there's this man named Robert Moses who was just... An amazing polit- political manipulator. Mm-hmm. And he formed New York as we currently know it, probably more than any other man, including the governors hmm. in his pretty long tenure. Okay. The way he consolidated power was just astounding and often immoral. <laughs> wow. So I'm reading that one as kind of a way of getting familiarized with the reality of power mm-hmm. okay. and the way that it works. And then I can figure out how much I'm willing to play the game. Right. Knowing that, you know, we'll all have to answer for our actions (laughs) someday. Yeah. That's that's been an interesting one. It's an extraordinarily long book. And uh, I listen to a lot of political commentary. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it. My dad was in politics growing up, and uh, I think I got that little bug. Okay. (laughs) As far as music, uh, over the past year, I've developed interest in classical music again, Mm. which is pretty nice. Excellent. It's very good to listen to and very cathartic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then other than that, I listen to a lot of country, which is pop country. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm just not cool enough to like the hard stuff yet. Yeah, that's fair. It's fair. Yeah. Like real country artists. Build into it. People are like, you like this guy? And I was like, man, never heard of her. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, You got to build to that. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm getting there. I used to hate country completely. So, yeah. And and that's pretty much it. My musical tastes aren't. Okay. (laughs) Well-developed.
0: You strike me as a very busy person. You like to keep active, obviously. You have a lot of projects going all at once. Are you much of a consumer of visual media? Like, do you like watching movies, TV shows or anything?
2: Mm-hmm. Not at all, actually.
0: Not at all? Mm-hmm. Don't own a TV? Oh, uh, no. That's, I love it.
2: I love it. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no, no. We moved in with Steve. He has a TV. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. He also has a PS4. <laughs> oh, so, dude. <laughs> yeah. Out of the dark ages and onto Discord, baby. <laughs> there, there you I'm go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god. I haven't
2: participated yet, but uh, I would happily... You've been thinking about it. I'd happily like... get just destroyed on whatever video game we choose. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <you>
0: okay. <laughs> if... <laughs> fair enough. Man, this has been... An awesome
2: night. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming over. I agree, dude.
0: Really appreciate it.
2: Really enjoyable. To
0: close us out, would you read our favorite quote for the podcast?
2: I will. The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well.